we are going to just hit the ground running on this podcast because our guest is a fellow podcaster. He's the host of Hip Hop Humboldt. Please give it up for David Haney. Mike's, oh yeah, oh yeah, yep. yeah, we got the SM7Bs, heck yeah. We started out with those 58s over there. That's exactly, I got 58s and 48s. <laughs> Gold standard. <laughs> yep. Those are the best ones to start out with though. Mm-hmm. You guys still using them? Yeah. <laughs> well, the 7Bs are so ridiculously expensive. The, about 300 a piece currently, unless I'm wrong, you know. I think they're, they might actually be close, closer to four. Oh like man, three ninety nine. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. <laughs> Podcasting. But they're worth it, though. Keeps everything warm. Yes, those are a little too, too soft when I'm in here screaming around. No, I know what you mean. There's there are certain things it just doesn't catch. We good, Andy? We up on this? So we were talking a little bit about yours, the Hip Hop Humble Podcast. Yeah. What was the goal with starting that? Was it just to get involved in the community there to try? Provide a voice for the community? What were you thinking? You know, it's really interesting. Um, it started as one thing and then morphed into something else as I saw kind of the need and the interest. I was at first just doing it, um, doing something that I was doing years ago, which was um, just letting people know about new hip hop releases. Um, and that's mainstream releases, not even just like Humboldt hip hop. Right. Um, And I've just been doing that for years and years, letting my friends know what's popping, you know, what what's new, uh, you know, in hip hop. And, you know, um, about a year ago was when I said I want to make that leap to start to, you know, archive some of this again, you know, and. And, uh, you know, one of the main guys, uh, rest in peace, Reggie Osei, that's Combat Jack. He had uh, probably the first biggest hip hop podcast, the Combat Jack show. And um, he passed of colon cancer some years ago, and it really, you know, it started to move my mind again about archiving, you know, just all this, you know, different hip-hop that I let my friends know about. And so, like I said, about a year ago, finally just hopped into it, was letting my friends know about, you know, mainstream hip-hop, like I said. And then some local people kind of started to see what I was doing, and let me know like hey we were doing like you know cyphers out here like local rappers and stuff like that you know we you know don't have a hip-hop blogger around here and we kind of need that you know what i mean and i was like well i'm already doing this podcast talking about mainstream hip-hop why not also include you know local artists you know and start to collaborate with the community you know and from there um I got, you know, just, uh, I want to say like a cosign, uh, but, you know, I don't want to say that, but like kind of like a cosign from a few local artists and musicians that were like, this is a good idea. We've been wanting to do this. So let's support this. Um, you know, I, one of the first guests that I had on my podcast was Brian Swislow, who's a local musician. He's been doing music around here for a long time. Um, he was with uh, the band, funk band named Spank years ago. Then he was also with Subliminal Sabotage, which was a really big band years back uh, out of Southern Humboldt. Uh, He's been doing the Swizzlow's Mystery Lounge for years now. And uh, currently he's with Object Heavy, keyboardist for Object Heavy. Um, And 
he got on the podcast and just kind of laid down the framework of this is the scene that's been going on around here for like, you know, over 20 years. Um, and that episode was really cool um, just to kind of get it from somebody who's been that immersed in. He spends a lot of his time just, you know, getting things done out in the community on a, on a musical front, like with um, making music, managing the bands, um, like, you know, booking gigs and things like that. So he's seen things firsthand. And uh, to get it from him on the podcast was a real blessing for me. You know what I mean? And from there, uh, a bunch of other artists found out and they're like, OK, so we need to be on this, too. You know, and that was um, earlier this year. And now here we are in September. And I've had about I think about 13 guests or so. Um, I've got about three episodes, uh, you know, in the queue ready to come out. But it's been a blast. I've been uh, really stoked to just hear all these stories from the local artists about this really like vibrant scene that's been going on. Um, I feel like, uh, and not to you know sidetrack off onto this you know point, but um, I feel like there's not enough media around here in Humboldt County, um, and definitely feel like hip hop has not gotten its due share of media exposure in Humboldt County for various reasons, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm just happy to support the community. Hip hop is something that I've uh, just had a passion for my entire life. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles and I've been listening to hip hop since I was, uh, you know, living in the Wilshire district down there. And um, to be able to support the community just by doing this podcast is something that um, I'm just thankful that the community's taken to it. Like I said, the artists um, have you know, more artists want to be on here now. Like they're like, okay, we want to be on this thing. You know, we want to, and that's what it was for. It was to get everybody, you know, some spotlight, you know what I mean? And get their, you know, their name out there, a little bit of their craft out there, you know? So, um, but that's generally how it's gone. And um, it's been a blast. I've been really stoked. I, I, see, I know that you've been doing this for a while. I'm, I'm sure that you, you're stoked. It's, a, it's just kind of a good feeling to, um, let some voices be heard, you know, at least for me, that's, that's how I kind of see it as, um, me just helping that exposure happen. And, um, I'm uh, going to be here to continue to support the hip hop community in any, as many ways as I can. You know, I go out to the fat bowl ciphers that happen typically about twice a month. Um, usually over at fat bowl in Arcata, the fat bowl clothing store. And then there's uh, one that happens at the epitome gallery. Um, and yeah, they're really great times because, uh, the artists just come out, it's an open mic. You can just come out and just spit your bars, you know, and with as many hip hop artists as there are around here, you just, you wouldn't realize it until you actually go to one of these things. Cause they come out and, you know, you'll have like a good, like 10 different MCs spitting on the mic and it's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, like I just, I've had a great time with it, you know, made uh, a lot of uh, connections over the, over the past few months. And I hope to continue to grow it by, you know, getting more artists on and um, getting their stories out there. And cause there's a lot, you know, that's one of the things too, that I, you know, I know I'm, you know, live and this is recorded and that's, so that's totally fine by me. I, I, I almost want to say this to the community. Like, I don't want anybody to get mad about like the order. Like, you know, because I at first I was trying to, like, really get some legends on. Like, you know, I had Brian Swizlow on there. I had Knack One, who's been doing, you know, holding down multiple pillars of hip hop in Humboldt County for 
you know, uh, a long time. You know, he's been doing these fat bowl ciphers for a long time. He does graph work down in the Bay Area. And, um, you know, he comes out to these fat bowl ciphers. You know, um, they, they, create a great, they create a good experience at the fat bowl ciphers. And I want to encourage anybody to come out to those things. And also there's another cipher that goes down weekly. It's called the Insight Cipher. That's just another spot for MCs to come out and, you know, showcase their talents, you know, practice, you know, spitting. And um, I've been to that as well. It's a good time. There's dope dudes that, you know, and, and women, you know, too, that go down there and, you know, sing and rap. And so it's a really cool time. You, you would be surprised how many uh, artists, hip hop artists are doing music around here. Well, that's um, the key, right? I was going to bring that up to you is I didn't even realize the hip hop scene was that big in Humboldt, let alone in Eureka. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so touching on what you said with drawing that spotlight onto these people, I think that's important. Yeah, indeed. I, I think that um, uh, the media outlets that have existed, I think it's really dependent on, you know, the staff of those outlets to really kind of be interested in things. Like we've seen, for instance, Bob Doran. He's done a lot of coverage over the years of the hip hop scene from, you know, he's done, he did a piece, um, well, he's done a lot of different uh, written articles in local, uh, local news, but he did a piece in, uh, where he was spotlighting local graph work, some of the graph work that was like back in Devil's, uh, Devil's Playground. You know, oh, before he, they tore it down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was kind of a spot where people would go out there and do a lot of graph work, you know what I mean? And some interesting stuff out there. And uh, he went out there and spotlighted it. So. But uh, you ha he, he has some interest. He has interest in music, in, you know, in, in hip hop, in giving the scene some exposure. You know what I mean? But it really, you know, if, if, if you're on a team, like I'm just, you know, I'm not trying to say anybody in specific, but there's only so many media outlets around here, right? Like there's, you know, in terms of like web outlets, there's the Lost Coast Outpost and there's the Redheaded Black Belt, I would say. There's smaller sites, you know what I mean, that dro drop more, maybe more t tailored news and things like that. You know, but um, those are the main go-tos. And, I mean, other than just kind of letting people know what ha might be happening with larger events, there's not that much exposure for hip-hop on those outlets. And so, um, I, I, you know, again, that's why I'm glad that I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's why I'm glad that I was just on a local radio show on HumboldtHotAir.org. Asad from Rude Entertainment is doing a every other Friday radio show. And um, that's just another platform for hip hop artists to come out and get some exposure, you know. So if we can continue that kind of thing in Humboldt County to just help artists get that exposure, let artists know that they can get exposure by coming out to the Fat Bull Ciphers, you know, that will, you know, bring some of those elements out of the woodwork, which is kind of why it's hard to see everything. Because, you know, artists around here um, or just anywhere, you know, their craft is very important to them. And so, you know, I think that. Um, it, it can be hard sometimes to just put it out in the public. And, you know, I think I've seen a lot of different people that are, you know, you don't know how people are going to respond to it and everything. Like that. And then you have the people that are really confident too, the artists that are, have been doing it, the legends, you know, and, um, but you got the whole gamut of it in Humboldt County, you know, from people just starting to the legends and anywhere and everywhere in between, you've got different confidence levels with their craft, you know, just like any other art form. And so, um, if we can just, you know, continue to increase that exposure, hopefully people get the chances to get out there and be more confident once they've got that experience, you know. Is that what holds a lot of people back is the fear of getting up and actually rapping or singing in front of a crowd of people? 
I, you know, as, as me not being, you know, I do spit bars, you know, and I've always kind of spit bars since high school, but I don't consider myself an artist by any means. Um, so I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't speak to that, but I do definitely think that that is a thing. And I would I, imagine, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, um, with kind of the limited amount of exposure of hip hop around here in the media, it lends to something that uh, hip hop artists, a local hip hop artist said on one of the, the, on a podcast, the local hip hop artist Highway, L- living legend right there, Highway. He's been doing music for a long time, collaborates with everybody. He's a really dope dude. He was just like, you know, there's people in Humboldt County that feel like hip hop shouldn't be here. You know, so I so that I think that that lends to it being harder for for artists to want to expose their art out there. You know what I mean? When the general tone is, you know, we're it's not um, super conducive of hip hop if hip hop isn't getting the due exposure is is a, is, you know, something that I would just kind of say. And so. You know, that would lend to artists, you know, being a little bit more, you know, um, careful with how they put themselves out there, with what art they're putting themselves out there or with. And um, but on the flip side, you know, you do come out to these fat bull ciphers and there's artists that will just like go in politically. You know what I mean? And a lot of times, like as an artist, especially maybe a hip hop artist or just an artist in general, you might want to stay away. Some people say stay away from politics because you're cutting your fan base and, you know, things like that. It may be harder for you to come up, but some people just go to those fat bull ciphers and just go off on, you know, presidents and, all. you know, it's, it's a fun time. It's great because you get that chance to just go and, you know, if you've had those thoughts and ideas in your head and you're a writer, a wordsmith, you know, you can get it out there, you know? So I, uh, I really enjoy helping and supporting the community thrive on any level, especially this exposure level. Do you think that's still the, I shouldn't say predominant, but a still a strong view that hip hop shouldn't be out there or shouldn't be here in the area? You know, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I would say that I already said my piece on it. I would let the community speak for itself. And, and that being, like I said, that there's just not a whole lot of exposure that um, prior to, uh, you know, my, my doing this podcast and Asad's radio show, like I said, which he started in the last few months. Um, like there was no dedicated outlet to hip hop years ago. There was a hip hop radio show on local radio. And I know uh, one of the DJs was, uh, Damien from the dirty rats. He was on there DJing and that was, that was cool. I think that was back around the, uh, like 2003, 2004 kind of, uh, you know, group of years right there. That's when I first moved up here to Humboldt from, uh, from the Mojave Desert is where I was living right before uh, moving up here. And um, that's, that, a, that's a pretty big change. It was. It was. I was uh, glad to get away from that heat and uh, come up here to where, you know, surfers, you know, on one side of the school and the other side of the school is the forest. You know what I mean? And, and the trees, like the trees, you know, we're smoking right now. You know what I mean? Um, but, um, yeah, when I first came up here, the, I think it was called The Party. And um, it was a dope radio show. And I came up here and it existed. And so I thought, I'm like, okay, so hip hop like is around here, you know, and there's their shows, you know, and stuff like that. And then that went away. And there, I mean, I may be wrong. There's, there may have been some, some shorter lived shows or something like on the radio, local radio. 
but I just honestly can't think of any dedicated like show to hip hop around here since the party was going like at the you know at the turn of the millennium around there. So with that being said, um, I can't say in specific like whether it's just um, a not enough money getting put into the scene. You know what I mean? Um, I really honestly feel like there's a lot of art that happens in Humboldt County. And there's so much money that gets put into art and only so much is going like hip hop is a slice, you know. And so, you know, it, it's going to pan out each year. People are going to spend how much they're going to spend on hip hop. There's only there's, there's going to be so many shows each year for hip hop. But I mean, I talk to artists around here, young artists that are hungry and they're like, we want some more shows, you know. And I mean, I don't have right now necessarily the capability to uh, like fully support that. I'm just trying to get my podcast, you know. Yeah, right. Rolling you can't and, really start up a whole studio right now. It'd be, yeah. It'd be a process. Exactly. Or, or even just like, you know, the money involved with putting money down on like a show, you know, that costs money. And um, it's hard to run shows nowadays. You really got to market things really well, which is something that, you know, um, to, to move kind of uh, that idea of hip hop have uh, you know um not getting its proper shine around here to move that idea to something else in that it's hard to market around here whether it's hip-hop shows or i've been involved with like local you know community building events and groups and things like that and it's just hard to like get people out to events especially since the pandemic you know started and um if you don't market things properly you're going to fall on your face. And I've seen it happen. And um, I try to tell people that I know that are, you know, involved with different things, like, you know, let people know about a show two months ahead of time, put it, make another push a month, a month before. If you can put another push like two weeks before and then write the few days of like, you got, you, you got to spend social money, uh, social media money on that. Social media ads like make a big difference around here because there's nobody doing them. Like I, I do my ads and then my people are like, yeah, like your ad is like slamming my feet every time I'm on Instagram because there's like nobody else paying for ads. It's just like the few events that happen and like uh, maybe a few dozen companies, you know, so it's a kind of an open landscape to where if hip hop producer, uh, event producers were marketing things better and had a, a much better understanding of what the clip is that you have to run at to properly market events you would make sure that heads would turn out, you know. Um, but I say that, and I, that's also fighting against the tide of, and I, I'm, you know, we just had the president say that the pandemic is over. I, that's, I can't, I'm not going to speak to that one way or another, you know, because I still think it's out there, you know what I mean? And there's still people dying from it. But no, we're uh, done. COVID's over now. I know, right? Biden came out and said that. I know, right? <laughs> We've been done. COVID, it's like a you know, week. That was I, a week long event. I know, right? <laughs> Um, and so, you know, um, it's hard getting people out to events just for that. I think it's hard. Promoting is hard just in general. I mean, yeah, here we are isolated as well, but just getting running ads, doing all that is just hard in general to hit your audience. 
I've been thinking about running ads for this podcast. Do you for yours? Yeah. You push them out there? Yep. Have you noticed success with that? Yeah, I have. I, and I'll tell you my scheme is, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm new to this and I'm even willing to drop. That's one of the things I drop all my creative ideas like on, uh, you know, my Instagram. So if you're on there, like keep an eye on my stories and stuff because I drop like any good tips for social media. I follow a lot of like social media content, like manager type people like that drop all the ideas. And so I'll put that in my stories on Instagram. So like, um, you know, I think that uh, it's for me, I just put $30 per episode into my social media and boosting a post. I'll make the post that's got the podcast cover on it and boost that post 30 bucks a podcast, you know, and that's me, you know, contributing to the hip hop artist that was on the podcast and then also trying to grow my brand as well, you know, and I've noticed that I do get more profile, um, you know, visits and follows and um, it's definitely pushing it out there more so than if I'm just posting without boosting it. You know, I'm only hitting my followers, but that way, if I boost it for 30 bucks, I'm typically hitting like five, 6,000 people, you know, over like four or five days. And so that's not too bad. I mean, like I said, when my, my friends and other people in the community are like, yeah, we're seeing that stuff. Like we're seeing it, you know, that's positive. That's, I'm, that's, I hear that. And I'm thinking that's, it's working even just 30 bucks an episode, you know? So I don't know I, if I had more money, I'd put more money into it. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, yeah, that's just my general like plan. I'm hoping to, um, with the whole social media thing, I'm at this interesting crossroads with it, and I, it kind of goes back to I've had conversations with the artists on the podcast. Some artists are like, we want to have the scarcity element with social media. We don't want to just put posts out there every single day, um, you know, because you saturate. You know what I mean? Is at least the thought. Um, and then I've got other people that the that are like the exact opposite. They're like, no, no, like. If you can't spend five minutes a day to just make a quick reel, like a seven second reel or, you know, for TikTok and then put, repost that to Instagram and then repost that to YouTube, you know what I mean? If you can't take five minutes for that a day to grow your brand, like you're not even invested in it. And I'm just like, man. And so it's just this interesting thing of people are on different pages with how to represent yourself, like, you know, on social media and stuff like that. And so I'm always trying to find that ebb and flow what really gets me is I got, you know, a, a busy job and two kids. And so <laughs> you're you know, a busy guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it, if I didn't uh, have, you know, maybe my two kids, then I'd probably have more time to, you know, easily do that and drop consistently. And when you drop consistently, I think, you know, because you've seen and you've been dropping like I've seen your shorts now, you drop pretty much like every day. Um, it, it helps that you, you stay in the algorithm. You know, when you stop, when you fall off, you fall out of the algorithm. It's the momentum aspect. It's so huge. Mm -hmm. Even just posting regular content or posting your episodes weekly or biweekly is huge. Mm -hmm. People can expect, okay, I know on Tuesday an episode is going to drop or okay, I know Friday I'm going to get a short or this or that. It helps. The and schedule. people expect it. Yep. It definitely helps. That way they can associate your brand with some kind of structure, you know. I've, uh, I've had it, I, you know, I've just between busyness and life and everything like that, I've uh, not been as consistent as I've wanted to be. The goal was to be doing dropping two a month. Um, and it's, I think in the last two months, I've only dropped two total. <laughs> but I mean, um, you know, a few months back, I got COVID, you know, it happens. And, you know, um, 
uh, things happen. You know what I mean? And um, but I'm still out there, you know, editing and, you know, dropping as often as I can. And like I said, I've got three ready to go here. Um, well, not ready to go, but I need to edit them and then they'll be ready to go. Um, one with uh, local artist Droop Capone. Dope uh, hip-hop MC. He's been doing it for a while. He's from L.A. And um, that was a cool episode because him and I, you know, we're both from L.A. So we're talking about L.A. on there. So it gives kind of a different vibe than um, the hip-hop artists that are repping humble. You know what I mean? Just a little bit different energy, you know. Um, then I got an episode with uh, Ruffian and Alexander the Great. Uh, and these are all local guys? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know we. Ha- I I really didn't know that community was that big. You know, I, I'm I'm you know I'm kind of with you. Like I I said, I've uh, lived here since um, 2004. I moved up here January of 2004, and um, I didn't know either till the last few years. You know, I I think you really have to kind of that lends back to that you know the exposure thing. You know, <laughs> like it's it's hard to get exposure around here potentially, or just you have to find you have to you have to be interested in the niche and then go find it. You know, I think that's more what it is with so many different niches, like I said, with so much art. You know? Yeah, there's no, I mean, there's a surplus of every kind of content. Whatever you want, you can get it nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's it's just there for you. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe it. I'm just in the hip hop and, you know, I every now and then just do some just DJing at home, just personal hobbyist level, hobbyist level. And I look at like, I'll, I'll move over to like the EDM category and I'm like, oh my God, I have no, there's thousands upon thousands of artists and I've heard of none of them you know but you talk to an edm dj and they're like on it you know they know those lists like solid you know so it's all about the niches that you're into you know well i think you found the perfect niche i think you're in that spot where you can you could make something happen with it you know because it is still a little underground in the aspect of trying to get people to see it Mm -hmm. and so you can be here and shine this light on it and even if, like you said, you're throwing 30 bucks at it, it has the added benefit. It's blowing you up and it's blowing up that artist. Mm-hmm. Killing two birds with one stone. Yep. Yep. And another kind of uh, goal with it all for doing the podcast was, you know, with uh, uh, Humboldt State becoming Cal Poly Humboldt, uh, it's, you know, now and going to continue to bring more and more students up here. That's a whole different story, right? That they're kind of packing Arcata with a lot of students. But separate from that, that brings more people up here. Um, hopefully people that are interested in hip hop that, you know, will try to find, you know, more information about that niche and come out to the Fat Bowl Cyphers and come out to the shows. And, you know, um, I kind of wanted there to be an archival of all the artists for when people come here, like to be able to find it out quickly, like this is a list on this podcast. I mean, just go on Spotify and, you know, search hip hop Humboldt. And then you've got the list of the artists that have been interviewed, you know? And uh, yeah, again, I don't want anybody to be mad about the order, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't want any, cause you know, um, there's artists that uh, I think, um, you know, just for instance, like there's a group called potluck dope hip hop artists. You and know. he's over here shaking his head. Yeah. Heck yeah. They've uh, been doing it for a long time, and um, I'm I'm yet to I'm trying to get them on the podcast. They're they're yet to come on, you know. Um, you and can pull the you can pull the oh, we probably won't be able to play it, but you can pull it up. Some potluck. Oh, you're good. How many local groups do you think there are, or just oh, individuals? Man, man I, there's probably well over 150 and i'm just kind of thinking about the people that i know 
um, I want to say over 150, if not more. It's, what's really cool is that years ago, the owner of the Epitome Gallery, Julia Finkelstein, um, worked with Brian Swislow to create this cool, I think it was like, I, I don't think they call it specifically the Tree of Life, but it was this beautiful tree that she painted and inscribed like all the hip hop artists around here. And I mean, just if I'm just like thinking about seeing, remembering that image, like, I mean, it's, it could be way more than 150. It probably is. Like, I want to bet some of the artists who are looking at me right now, like, bro, you're forgetting everybody. <laughs> you know, like, there's like everybody. That's no small group, though. 150 people is a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, uh, I know a lot of people and they're just busy with the craft. You know, it's um, that, that social media thing. Not everybody's with that. Not everybody's into it. It doesn't like uh, myself. I'm not like in the social media. It's kind of a, you know, double-edged sword for me. You know what I mean? I actually generally dislike it and the idea of it. I like connecting with people, but what social media has become, you know, I'm not into that, you know, more of it. I feel it's uh, more of a distraction and um, it's a time suck. It definitely is. And they want it to be that way. It's its own economy now, you know, the attention economy. Um, And so I'm not into it, but I still got to do it because I got a brand that I'm trying to, you know, promote and trying to run. And, um, but artists, you know, they're artists and they're, they're vested in their craft and some people are just not into that social media thing. And so, um, then it becomes really hard to get any exposure because like if you're, we were just talking about that when I was just recording, I think it was a couple of days ago with local band city hippie, young local band, dope dudes. Um, they were just like, if you don't stay consistent, then you fall off the, inst- the off the algorithm. And then like, if you stay off and you don't post, like, it's like you don't exist. You know what I mean? And so it's this interesting thing where I think a lot of artists are just busy with their craft. They will drop their music. But um, that social media element may not be what they're, you know, wanting to spend their time on. And so that exposure doesn't exist. And they, you know, all that great art that's happening out there may just kind of uh, be harder to access until you maybe go to shows, you know, shows do happen around here. And that's where some of the artists that don't, that I think don't do, you know, that don't heavily invest in that social media game. They still go out to the shows and they do shows. So you got to keep your eye out for the shows is what you got to do. How often are there shows around here? I want to say about every month, but in the t- time of uh, during and post pan, you know, I don't want to say post pandemic, <laughs> but you know, in these times, it's been a lot slimmer. I want to say it's more like once every two months, but um, you know, is this one show every two months? Uh, I think that there was definitely periods of time where there was only like one show every for like a two month time period for sure. But then, but then there'll be like a month like June where there's like a bunch of hip hop shows, like. There'll be artists that come from outside the area, like big artists, mainstream artists, and they come and um, local artists like open and, you know, uh, they're on the bill as well. You know what I mean? So that's a great way for local artists to get some exposure. And um, they'll try to do that because they want to get on those bills. They're like, you know, I I just saw B.O.B. and that was a city hippie just opening for them. You know what I mean? And, you know, they. You know, that was dope for them to be able to, you know, perform on on that same stage as B.O.B. They were, you know, I was there at the show and, you know, it was a dope show. They did a great job. You know, it's it's just cool to see all of that. You know, um, the artists get that kind of exposure where they're doing shows because you got to try to do that. You got to have somebody that's working on your side to make that happen. Like I said, you know, Brian Swislow, you know, like makes things happen and he, you know, 
um, we'll put the calls in. And, you know, a lot of artists just don't know who to call. They don't know how to get on those bills. You know, there's all kinds of hurdles that exist. You know what I mean? With even getting that limited exposure that, you know, that's out there. So um, I hope things go and continue to go in a different direction for hip hop in Humboldt County with more exposure, more artists being willing to go out there and get their uh, craft out there, you know. We got some cool shows coming up. Um, we got a Back to Business 5.0 show, and I can't remember right off the top of my head, but, I mean, we've got Two Tank, Highways on that show, Travi Bands, Hyphy Hefner, um, DJ Static's going to be there, um, and a couple other artists, uh, uh, Marciano the Magnificent, and uh, a couple as well, uh, others as well. That's going to be a dope show. That's at the Siren Song. The barriers to entry are very low as a fan because the shows are inexpensive. Like you, you don't have to go out and pay like forty bucks for a ticket. You want to go to the Siren Song and see that show. I think it's either five or ten bucks. You know what I mean? It, it may be a little bit more than that, but it, anything twenty or less is inexpensive to go out and support multiple hip hop artists that are performing. Like that's inexpensive, you know. So um, that's one show. Then there's the October Fest that's happening. Booty Shaking Music is doing that. That's uh, Scarab, dope hip-hop MC. is going to be, uh, he comes here quite often. Um, he's going to be coming back. There's going to be a bunch of local hip-hop artists doing dope work on that show. Knack One, Eli Fowler, Flo J is going to be on that show with Brian Swizlow and his Mystery Lounge. That's one of the coolest events right there is when you get Brian Swizlow and his Mystery Lounge because they're just like off the cuff doing funk music and riffs for the hip-hop artists who are then just dropping bars, whether it's off the dome or even maybe some written work, but it just comes together and it's like this killer show. Because I mean, right, isn't, I mean, that just sounds dope to me, like a funk band doing funky music and then hip hop artists like, you know, spitting on top of that. That sounds cool to me. Maybe that's just me. I, you know, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, so uh, that's, that's coming up. So those shows are coming up. You know, shows do happen out there. You know, I definitely don't want to uh, forget about anybody. Or um, if, there, if there are groups out there that are doing shows, maybe I don't even know. Maybe I don't know about them. You know what I mean? I don't uh, go to everything that's happening like in Sohum. There's a scene in Sohum, you know. And uh, they, they, uh, there's a lot of performances that happen at the Stone Bar and Junction Grill, you know. Uh, Stone Junction Bar and Grill, I mean. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's just a, a big, beautiful scene. And um I'm trying my best to stay on top of it to help folks get, you know, get uh, their the spotlight and get their, you know, uh, craft out there. Um, but there's so much more. And I think that there's going to be more for I'm probably going to be like busy spotlighting artists on this podcast for honestly, I want to say like two years is what I kind of like estimate. And more than that, if, you know, everybody's willing to come out and get, you know, on the podcast. So. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm stoked. Did you, so you don't, you're not really up there rapping. You're more just a part of the community. How did you get into hip hop? Um, well, just from listening to hip hop as a kid, um, uh, then I've always considered myself a fan. And so with that being said, I never thought I could actually be a productive element for the community in any kind of way. You know what I mean? I just saw it as, well, there's the artists up there and they're, and I had, and I have, and I always have had so much respect for the artists that, um, you know, there's just that, like they're doing cool stuff. I can't even be part of that. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, as, and especially as me, like I said, um, I'm not a wordsmith. I'm not, you know, a performer in any kind of way, nothing like that at all. I'm just a voice, and you know, a, 
a tech guy that knows how to work with technology and started this, was able to start the podcast easily enough to make it comfortable for everybody to come, you know? And, um, so, um, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's a voice in and of itself, right? You might not be up on stage, but doing a podcast and bringing these people on, that's no small feat. Yeah, it's been a lot of work. Um, it's definitely been a lot of work. The behind-the-scenes work is the hardest. The editing of yeah. the podcast. That's the time-consuming thing. Yeah. yeah. That's the real work. Like, when, um, it, when I've got a bunch of episodes in front of me, I, I, I did that on purpose, so that way it's almost like I can't let a mountain get too big. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got to keep at it. You know what I mean? Because it is a lot of work on the back end. Um, but for me, like, I just love hip-hop enough to where – I'm fine with supporting this, the community on this level. I mean, I'm always looking for some sponsorships, you know what I mean? And I'm hoping to get some sponsorships coming up with, you know, continued uh, consistency of the podcast. If I can be consistent, then people will be like, okay, he's consistent. Let's start to back him. You know what I mean? I would love to have, you know, get repaid for some of the money that I put into the studio equipment that I've got, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. But even if not, you know, um, I, I work in the corporate world. And so I pay, you know, uh, you know, invoices to like, you know, companies for like marketing and stuff like that, for instance. And like, I see the, you know, uh, um, cost in the corporate world of like marketing of like the stuff that I do, which is just what anybody could honestly do. Any fan can do what I do, which is go to the Fat Bowl Cyphers and take some pictures. I'm on an, I'm on a Samsung. Some of y'all have iPhones, you know, those are way better cameras than these Samsung cameras. So like, you know, to go out there and take pictures and like send them to your artists. The artists love that because they're going to repost that in their stories. And that's free marketing. That's like free. You know, and if you charge a photographer, they're going to charge you hundreds of thousands of dollars to come to a show to record you and all that. And, you know, there's all the nonsense with that. Where if it's organic, if you just have like your fans going out there, that's what I am. I'm just a fan of hip hop and I'm a fan of Knack One and Highway and Eli Fowler and Flo J and Brian Swislow and all the other artists that are out there, you know, and um, I'm happy to support them by the simplest things that I can do, which is just taking pictures and videos and giving it to them with the podcast. That is more work. That's more work. Um, and so that's why, like I said, I'm interested in, you know, getting, you know, some sponsorship at, at some point, you know, um, but um, I, at one point I kind of looked at, you know, for the things that I do between the photos and the videos, that's just one thing. Like I said, that's easy to do. Just take it on your phone and send it out. That doesn't take that much time at all. But I'll also make some videos. Like I'll make like cut up, you know, you know, cool little videos, you know, and put them in the reels and everything like that to spotlight the artist. But, you know, also to like, you know, get my brand out there in the community. You know what I mean? And hopefully the algorithm picks it up and, you know, blows it up like I'm hoping the other artists blow up as well. You know what I mean? So I make those little videos. But like those little videos, like those things, you know, that's pricey stuff right there. Once you start step stepping into like the video realm, you know, especially with there's only being so many people around here doing it, um, you know, it's it ends up being like thousands upon thousands of dollars that I would say I of my time that I donate to the community and I'm completely happy to do it. You know what I mean? Um, just that's just my love for hip hop. You know, when I noticed when I started to come up on all these artists that are around that are around here and see like, oh, this is actually a scene. And saw the limited amount of exposure that was like, uh, that was some incongruence there for me. And I'm like, as a, as a fan of hip hop with the skills that I had technology, you know, with, on the technical front and, you know, it cost, you know, I just bought a zoom pod track P4, you know what I mean? The little tiny mobile unit, you know what I mean? So now I can just take that anywhere and record, you know, um, it's, it's, it's minimal, um, 
on the on my input to, to in, in my in my view like i'm happy to put money into it in, into hip-hop into the culture around here you know what i mean if it wasn't me doing this then i would be going to the shows like i do and spending money there you know what i mean so you know um i want hip-hop to succeed and thrive in humboldt county as it has been doing and i just wanted to continue to snowball into something that you know where this vibrant scene that is around here blows up to where people actually see it you know what I mean? For what it is. There's a lot of artists from outside the area that come here. And um, it's really a hidden just trove of talent. Like, it's hard to even kind of grasp until you do go out to like the ciphers and then the shows and like see, wow, like it's cr the, the level of hip hop, you know, it's not subpar. Like, you know, I, you know, may I, I grew up in different suburbs at, at points and, you know, people were I've I've grown up around um, people that weren't making great music. You know, I've I've seen that. You know, I've seen people not making great music around here. You know, before I got you know more heavily invested into the hip hop scene, I've seen that. You know, more of, and maybe those are just more hobbyists, or um, you know what I mean. But it takes talent to make great music. We know that, and the music that that is around here. After I've listened to it for the last few years, like. I'm blown away at the quality of it. It's not that like, you know, um, kind of a uh, smaller time music with just like, you know, some people that are new to music making beats and somebody that's new to music hopping on the beats. There's the newer artists around here, but even the newer artists around here, I mean, they're dope, you know, like they know how to, they've taken the cues and the elements from the dope people that are around here. And that's one of the cool things is that, the culture, you know, continues and these young kids that are around here um, are doing it. I was just uh, I just dropped a podcast with a group, Area Sound, Zach and Steamer. Shout out to Zach and Steamer. Um, they're both. Uh, well, Zach is currently involved in education locally. He's a teacher at a school and then Steamer was uh, years ago and they've gone the route of like promoting hip hop to the students that they were working with, you know? And I, I, I had so much, I was about to cry in the studio, like with those dudes when they're doing that. Cause my son, you know, he's, you know, 13 years old and he's into hip hop and he makes music. He, I've set him up with his own studio and he makes his own beats, records his own vocals, drops it all, you know what I mean? And um, he's at a school where um, he doesn't have the validation that like Zach, a.k.a. Zigzag Zilla from Area Sound, the teacher um, that he's given his students. He he said he weekly puts on like he has them all go on stage. They set up the sound equipment and they just have these young kids in this uh, middle school uh, start spitting rhymes and rapping. You know what I mean? I think and, I heard I watched that one in sixth grade. They were doing that. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. That's 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 so positive for the elements of I mean, hip hop is a pop is a popular culture. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying it's a pop culture. It's a popular culture. At the same time, it's also I would still say the true elements of hip hop are a counterculture. And so but it's popular at this point. And in a certain sense, like I say, from when I grew up to now, hip hop has taken a lot of the share that like just generally like pop music had like hip-hop takes a lot of that money now and so it's popular music you know what i mean and so kids are going to be into it you know what i mean in schools and stuff like that and so for there to be that 
platform that, like I said, Zach is doing at the school to put those kids on and validate them like that. Wow, man. Like, I wish my kid was, you know, at that school, you know, at at his school. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's needed around here. You know what I mean? Like, we need more of that. It's just beautiful to see. Well, yeah, and anything that promotes good music, you know, and gives these kids a platform to try it out if they want to even just try it and see if they like it and see if that's something that they want to pursue or just do for fun. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that. When I was in sixth grade, nobody was putting those on for us, you know? Yeah. Yep. No, I know. That was, you know, that's kind of interesting, man. That takes me way back. You know, when I was, that was the first time, you know, because I was in, 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 I've been in hip hop my whole life. Well, talk to me. How did you yeah. end up in the desert? The desert? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How does that happen? Yeah. So I grew up in LA in the Wilshire district. And so my mom, really, to, honestly, to move us away from the city, um, and, and, and also, you know, it was uh, cost of living was cheaper out in the Mojave desert in Victorville where I, uh, did, um, junior high and high school. Um, it, it was safer than being in the city where we were. The schools were maybe not necessarily better educationally, but the schools were a little bit safer. Um, and so, you know, to, to move us away from those elements, you know, my mom moved me and my brother and my stepdad, we moved up to the high desert. And, um, yeah, just stayed there and there's nothing going on in the Mojave desert, man. Like there's nothing going on. That's there. a surprise. Yeah. I, I would have thought that'd be the place. To I, be. Like it's popping, right? Yeah. You got to go, you got to go out to Vegas and on that side of, you know, out to Nevada, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, was there and, um, thank goodness got out of there. I know people that I went to high school with that didn't, you know what I mean? And there's to, for there to be nothing going on there and then to still be stuck. There, I couldn't even imagine that. That was just the plan was. To go to school somewhere else, you know what I mean? I um, started going to school at Cal Poly Pomona when I first started going to college. And then after six months, after a semester there, transferred up here because it was as easy. I could do an intra-district transfer form or whatever it was and just trans- go from one Cal State school to another. And um, yeah, came up here and been here, got a good job. Uh, when I graduated, I was in school for longer than I had wanted to be. You know what I mean? I switched majors. I started as a computer science major, uh, Cal Poly Pomona, and then came up here. And the c- computer science major was kind of, the major itself was kind of faltering. They were losing a lot of good staff or something like that, if I recall. And so I switched my major to business and got my degree in business and um, got a good job and um, have been working there since. I've been with the company that I work for now for about 13 years. And is that that's Stream Guys? What is that? That's correct. Yeah, Stream, Stream Guys. Guys. Yeah, Stream Guys has been doing uh, services for about 22 years for um, broadcasters all over the globe. Stream Guys basically runs clouds um, and radio broadcasters or just different people that are broadcasting their events or audio or video events out, they send their source signal up to stream guys. And then we distribute it out to their audience. We're like the backbone. So you guys are like a radio station through the cloud. We like, we're the, we're like the phone line for the radio station. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, for instance, like HumboldtHotAir.org, like that's one of our clients. You know what I mean? We love supporting local, uh, local radio. You know what I mean? Uh, we have uh, KMUD is also a client, you know, really uh, uh, well-known local radio, community radio, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, we love supporting local. And um, it's really cool when there are radio stations around here because they want to spend money locally too, typically. It's kind of the, you know, we're, we know where we live and we know what people like to do, you know. 
And so they're like, oh, stream guys exist, like a company that's doing those services. Well, that's great. You know what I mean? So I was really glad when like Humboldt High Humboldt Air.org uh, lifted off. Um, that was that's another outlet in the community now. And um, shout out to Neroli. She's doing great down there. And um, I'm glad to see what she's doing. She's putting a lot of different shows on and it's just more content for the community um, in a form that's we don't it's i don't know i don't think radio's ever going to be completely lost that's this interesting thing right everything's moved to video and you know and we're going in that direction but i mean fcc's still out there issuing licenses to radio stations terrestrial radio stations are still you know uh, having sales teams that are selling ad time and making money and you know so i don't see radio going anywhere you know what i mean um, you think it's going to stick around it may be in a different form. We talk about that a lot at Stream Guys. That's it. Know? I think it'll stay if it adapts, mm-hmm. like Netflix did. If they lean into what the internet offers of unfiltered media, mm-hmm. and they get rid of all these FCC restrictions, I think then it has a chance. But if it stays rigorous and isolated, in that you have to be in this box, and that's where you're going to stay, mm-hmm. I think it's. I, I don't think it looks good. Yeah, I know. I mean, because, you know, Sirius has come in and, you know, changed a lot of that Seriously, already. Even just Spotify, you could just play the music that you want to listen to. Every car is yep. Bluetooth now. Yep. 100%. That's what. That's exactly what I do. So, yeah. You know, and I, I'm not even a podcast guy. You know what I mean? I uh, don't consume any podcasts. That's one of the funny things that uh, the place I work is uh, some of us are kind of like, we're like, we're content snobs because we serve you know we're responsible for so many clients and serving up so much content that we're all you got to be like really cool content to get on our radar you know what i mean but um i'm just i've uh you know i don't spend my time like listening to too many podcasts unless there's like a cool hip-hop podcast that drops and i'm like okay let's check that out but typically those have been um more like they're like more like mini series like short series like depicting some event or some like scene somewhere you know what i mean or like um maybe a death you know what i mean um like they're more shorter lived the main one that's a longer one that's gotten big that i knew of was like i said the combat jack show and he passed so since then man it's you know that on the hip-hop scene in general it's just a lot of content out there so you know um with the scene so saturated I've already got my own. I can, you know, focus on. <laughs> yeah, again, you're in that niche. You've got yeah. the spot. So yeah. if there aren't other ones dropping, that's almost better for you. You can say, hey, guys, Hip Hop Humboldt. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, especially if they're local. You know what I mean? Because there have been local hip hop podcasts um, and, you know, they slow down and pick back up sometimes. It's happened. You know, um, like I said, uh, I was just on a sides uh, show and he and um, Tyler with Rude Entertainment and another um, local gentleman uh, by the name of Not, Not a Clue. Um, they were do to my understanding, they were doing a podcast for a while there, you know, and it's just, you know, going back and forth and bantering, you know, talking about, uh, you know, different topics that are, you know, popular and being talked about in the community and stuff like that. And it's cool. Like, I really like the banter kind of, um, element, you know, um, I've done these interviews with the, with the artists around here and they've, you know, showcased all, you know, all uh, like their, their, themselves, their brands, their art, um, but the the cooler podcasts that are more memorable for me are the ones where, like, towards the end of it, we're kind of going back and forth and just talking about different things. You know what I mean? Like, then you really get that connection. That's what I'm going for. Like, I want to help these artists, like, 
build that connection with the fans and the audience in Humboldt County. That's like crucial. You know what I mean? If you don't build that, that's, that's something that like Highway's great at is like building that connection with people. He's great on social media. He knows how to write a story, visualize it out and connect with his audience. And so I think that's one element, but that's just one reason why he's been so successful around here. You know what I mean? So um, it's, it's really an art. And um, there are the people that can do that short form content and, or, you know, um, uh, you know, TikToks and everything like that and whatnot. And there's the people that can't. I can't. I'm not great at it. I'm like, I, I'm more of a, you know, I'll, you know, I like a real short TikTok that's like some, a joke. You know, I, you know, I don't like the long videos or the long, you know, um, the longer short forms, the three minute TikToks and stuff like that. I get kind of bored, you know, which is horrible to say, right? That's a bad, that's a short attention span for a 38 year old man. You know what I mean? But yeah, if it's a three minute TikTok, it's got to be like teaching me a history lesson. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a weird switch that gets flipped because we say that, right? But then we also, you're producing hour long content. Multiple hour long content, and people watch that. Yeah, it's almost it just has to be engaging. Mm -hmm. If you make it sixty seconds and it's dog shit, nobody's gonna watch it. Yep. If you make it two hours and it's good, people are gonna sit through that. Mm hmm. Fully. And and that goes back to uh, that's a good point because that goes back to how I was saying that it's kind of like um this podcast at least currently I feel like it's more of an artist podcast with the local artists are the guys that I'm getting the most feedback from that are like, oh, this is dope because they've been in the scene. They've been a part of the scene, like they're vested in, in the scene. And so they're like, you know, they're, they're wanting to see this happen. You know what I mean? So they're, they've been the ones that have been listening and I've been getting the most feedback from them. And so um, that's been cool, you know. Um, but yeah. Having those conversations is, it's worthwhile. You get something out of it. I always said that this is a selfish pursuit because I get the most out of it. Even if I didn't post them, it would just be fun for me to do. I know what you mean. And the added benefit is that other people get to listen in. There is that archival aspect, though, that freaks me out when I think about it. The idea that everything you say on here is now out there forever. Unless you delete it, which you can, but if somebody clips it or... It's out there. Once it's out it's, there, you got to assume it's out there. You have to. Right? No, 100%. No, that goes back to, yeah, you know, um, I, I, I kind of scour my podcast to try to make sure there's no uh, nothing too personal on there. You know what I mean? I think in one of the uh, episodes recently, um, uh, one of the gentlemen like dropped an address for somebody, and um, but it was from their address from like 20 years ago. So they're, they're not living there no more. You know what I mean? And I, but I verified that. I'm like, okay, let me make sure that he's still not there. You know what I mean? Because we can't just have people's address going out there. And then that's archived on, you know, uh, my podcast is on um, Spotify and also on YouTube. So then, you know, it's out there, you know, so. Yeah, you're not putting the toothpaste back in the bottle. Yeah. Uh-uh. So, yeah, and you got to be, you know, it's, it's, it's good to be, um careful when you are like when these artists that haven't gotten a whole lot of exposure you got to be you, you got to work with them and you know make sure that uh they're not putting themselves in a bad place and you're not putting yourself in a bad place either you know you don't want artists or anybody locally or anybody mad at you for you not not editing properly and letting their personal information out there you know <laughs> yeah that's why we do this live now is that it's out there 
in some sense. It's out there. There's It's a double-edged sword, right? Because if somebody comes on here and says something crazy, it's out there. Right. But you also get the added benefit. And I don't know if you've run into this where somebody says, hey, you know, can we cut some things out of there? I want to edit this podcast a little bit for you. You know, what's been really cool about it is nobody's – the recordings have gone so smoothly that – there's been not one single person that has said that, and there's been it, it's it, the the more of the time suck is as I'm editing, I'm also going through and then pulling out certain audio clips to audiogram, right? And um, then that adds on, you know, a few minutes each time I do one of those in the middle of the uh, you know reviewing and editing the podcast. But typically, like. These dudes are pretty dialed, and it's not live, but I haven't had to edit that much. You know, most, to be honest with it, with you, most of it's been me, you know, uh, you know, just uh, losing the kind of train of thought that I may be on, and then, you know, just cutting that out and then clipping back through, you know, or, but, uh, but yeah, um, it's been pretty solid and smooth. It could almost be live as, as dope as these artists are and as smooth as, as it's been. Yeah, the people that come on here aren't quite as polished all the time. Because I, you're, you have the structure at least in okay, hip hop. We could do hip hop. You can come on here and say whatever you want to say. And it, sometimes the cat gets away from you a little bit. Mm-hmm. You start running around. You're like, what do we? Wh- where did this conversation go? What are we talking about right now? <laughs> well, I was watching your podcast, and you, I mean, you, you talk about it. You, you and your guests talk about a lot of different topics. It's very open ended. Yeah, and so that, I think that's good. Though. Like I said, I, I like the kind of the um, banter and back and forth and things moving in a different direction from you know, unless unless it's specifically like intended to be a real you know firm solid structure, you know. I think people like that more. They're more engaged with the conversation type. It's more authentic that way. Mm-hmm. Do you plan out questions for yours or just I, rough ideas? I don't want anybody to be mad, but I don't plan out anything. Yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. And I, I almost like starting, I'm starting to think like I should kind of like at least prep the artist. Like this is what we're just going to go over. You know, it's just going to be, hey, you get your time to go over your history but I also think that some of the artists that um, haven't kind of like been keyed in the, like since the start of it that have been on, once, they, once I talk to them and they have been invited, they check the pod out to like, okay, what is he about? You know what I mean? I, I, know, I know that's happening and um, I think that's only reasonable. You know, you want to know what the person's about, you know what I mean, before you hop on the show. Um, but it also, I haven't, said anything to anybody like uh, to preface the situation so they might be wondering what is he going to want to talk to me about is he going to get on there and like you know you know i don't know you know what i mean they just may not know so um it's been off the cuff you know in a way i kind of respect the people that go in blind and haven't watched any of the podcast or haven't seen any clips because you don't know what's going to happen you're really just going in and trusting that this person is going to get you where you need to go safely yeah my main thing you know i i generally um my main thing for me was i know that this area um there's a good amount of like uh red-minded people and so uh um, being conservative conservative yeah and so um my only you know i i was looking at some of your episodes well and some of my friends have been on here too you know what i mean like uh, one of my friends naughty little was on here oh yeah shout back. out to naughty yeah that was a fun podcast yeah. she's awesome she's awesome oh yeah um and i looked at that episode to kind of see what things were about you know um 
Uh, and I didn't get, you know, any like, oh my gosh, this guy's like red and gonna put me on the spot about some stuff or, you know what I mean? Um, I, I've been lightly involved in local, like I said, community building. And I want to say politics for a while. I was on the human rights, the Humboldt County Human Rights Commission for a while. And, um, people kind of know me from that. And I had my hands in that. And, um, I, I, uh, don't, I didn't want, um, I know how things can be around here with politics once you start to get a certain level of exposure, you know, um, and... What does that mean? So, um, I think, so personally, me, I'm a fairly left-leaning, left-minded person. I'd actually almost, I'd say I'm pretty... I. In my view, I was formerly an uh, an anarcho-socialist, and I think I've moved in the last like year or two pretty firmly to anarcho-communism. And so I think around here, like that would be viewed as um, not normal at all. You know, even just that kind of rhetoric or placing yourself in that like political uh, position of that's where you place yourself. You know what I mean? And I'm, like I say, having been involved in politics, I've been, I've had some eyes on me and I've been pretty vocal about my politics, about, you know, being very, um, pro black power and black excellence, pro black power and brown pride. You know what I mean? Pro, um, uh, well, actually, actually anti- capitalism, um, anti-racism, you know what I mean? I've been very vocal about those things locally. And so um, I think when you start to get a level of exposure and say certain things that are in a direction that's moving out of the pocket, out of maybe what some call the Overton window maybe, or, you know, just generally accepted mainstream politics, you know, People start to think a different way about you. They may either they agree with you or they don't. You know what I mean? And so um, with that being said, I I know how politics are around here. I've seen how things, uh, you know, operate politically. Uh, Like I said, I was on the Human Rights Commission. So I've seen how the county operates. It sounds like this is coming from, you know, a personal perspective that you ran into this brick wall a couple times. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Even... Even from, you know, it, that, it's so interesting because um, whether they're red or blue, you can run into roadblocks when you're a person of color around here trying to engage in politics, right? And so that's one of the things where I've, that, that's kind of tapered my, um, and this is live and broadcast and it's going to be out there and that's completely fine by, that's completely fine by me because now I'm no longer involved in politics. I will honestly, in my own personal view, like I would never get involved with politics locally again because of the how it operates on different levels and the hardships that I faced. And um, um, so I'm fine with my politics being out there. With that being said, I'm also running this podcast. And so that's a brand now that's out there. And so it makes you be careful with how you put yourself out there in the community. Um, you know, just for instance, like I purged probably about a third of the people off of my Facebook list. Um, I had gained a lot of people since I uh, was on the Human Rights Commission. And I also ran for the Humboldt County, um, I'm sorry, the Humboldt Community Services District Board a few years ago and lost. 
Um, fortunately, I wasn't the lowest vote getter out of everybody running. You know what I mean? But it was that's always a good thing, right? You don't yeah. want to be the lowest guy on the totem pole. Exactly. That's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, that would have been rough for me. Yeah, it would have hurt my ego a little bit. But um, but I didn't win, and so that was fine. But then I got appointed to the Human Rights Commission, and so um, yeah, I wouldn't get involved in it any longer in a direct way. I'm more than happy to and willing to support. Um, black and brown people that are willing to get engaged in the local community. Um, but me, myself, like being directly involved in it, I don't want to do that. Um, just because, like I said, the things that I faced. And so that's brings me back to that idea of that's what's made me taper how I taper off and uh, really kind of hone yeah. your presentation or your outward public persona. 100%, 100%. And has it's that, hard. I was going to say, has that been a hard line to balance? I'm guessing you still feel the same way you felt, but now you kind of have to close that off to the public. Mm-hmm, 100%. And that's why I purged uh, a bunch of people off my Facebook, because I'm like, well, no, people don't need to see all my politics anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want that out there, you know? You know, social, social media is this interesting place where, um, you know, I, I've got these terms what I, that I use with my friends, right? But, you know, we got the the salty social media screenshotters, you know what I mean? That are, you know, all the... Once, Everybody's looking to get some dirt. Yeah, especially yeah. in a smaller area like this. And they're not afraid to use it. Once yeah. they get that, they're going to run wild with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, I've I've heard things about myself, and I'm, once I hear it, once it comes back around and gets to me, I'm like, wow, that's this, you know, all of off of... Like I said, when you say things politically around here, people will take it and they will run. You know what I mean? And I, I'm a person that I hold everyone around me to a high standard. And I, I try to hold everything that I'm either involved in to a high standard. Um, and so that ruffles feathers sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to be vocal about the stuff that I don't like that I see in this county. You know what I mean? I, with, uh, with the school becoming Cal Poly Humboldt, they're bringing a lot of students in and the, the, uh, the board of supervisors has a lot of work that needs to be done to make this place more acceptable for the students that come here to make them want to stay. That's been this constant thing in Humboldt County from when I moved here, I've learned about it. People get their degree and leave. You know, it's just been this normal kind of thing where we're losing a lot of talent that way. And we need talent up here. You know, we keep certain talent, but it's minimal. A lot of people just leave. And so um, if the board of directors could actually address some of these issues around here better, then, you know, it might make some of these students stay and stick around and want to help this place can you know grow and grow you know more beautiful you know it, it's a boon for this com for this county that cal poly is that humble state is now cal poly there's a lot of money there yeah what are some of these issues that the, you think they need to address well i mean i mean definitely one of the issues that i addressed when i was on the human rights commission was homelessness i was on the homelessness committee that's a big problem that's it's, a big problem not just up here but throughout the and country generally too you know especially in the metro areas you know but definitely in california um i mean you know we've seen in humboldt county something that's done just about uh, i don't want to say everywhere but very often you see it happen in a lot of places where homeless people just get ticketed and move to uh, the next place and um there's never you know it's capitalism it's not set up to get 
support to people that need it. You know what I mean? It's more set up to do the opposite, to suck support away from communities and uh, the people that need it. So it's hard. It really is hard. And I, I, I don't know what the solutions are. You know what I mean? But I've seen good things that have happened. And I think that there is work that the board of supervisors can do that they're not doing that they're not doing you know now were these the views that you were expressing that got you in hot water when you were in politics um or i guess what is what is anarcho-communism i've never heard that term before yeah absolutely uh anarcho-communism would just basically be so um anarcho-communism you got the side of anarchy which for me you know different people take anarchy different ways you know you've got your um anarcho-capitalists right that I would say that kind of um, maybe resembles something more like what we saw in the Purge movies, if you've ever seen those movies. That's a scary thought. Right. You know what I mean? Um, then you've got, um, you know, anarcho-socialists and anarcho-communists that, for, at least I, I can't say what other people, how they engage in their politics. But for me, that is the, the tenets of anti-capitalism, anti-racism, anti-hierarchy. That's one of the big things, like power being decentralized. I think that in capitalism, it's so easy to for power and wealth to get structurally funneled upwards, right? And so that hierarchy is what sets up that structure. And so, uh, you know, the principle of less hierarchy for me is more decentralization of power, you know, more individual groups maintaining their rights and control of their lives. You know what I mean? Um, there's so many things now. I mean, we, you know, for all intents and purposes, a lot of people say we practically live in the matrix now, right? And so it would be great to, I mean, I didn't, when I was growing up, you know, we weren't fully in the matrix yet. You know, I'm 38, you know, and that was the 90s, you know, but now here we are. And um, it's, uh, I'm more for people breaking out of the systems of, you know, control and, you know, um, that that want to uh, take wealth. You know, I mean, mean, it's just, you know, it's the country that we live in. Right. You know, it's um, all about the almighty dollar. And, um, you know, just for instance, um, we've got all these problems in this country. I was just talking about homelessness. There's a lot of different problems in the country, but. A lot of money is, you know, spent in in terms of the federal budget, it's spent on, you know, uh, the military industrial complex. Right. You know, we've got just in recent times. Right. We've got Puerto Rico having a thing was Fiona, Hurricane Fiona just hit over there and they're without power on the whole island, I think. And I think it's about one hundred ninety six thousand people without any potable water. I mean, and that's a U.S. not a colony. It's not an out. Is it an outlying state? It's a. Uh, it's part of the United States. It's not a state. You know what I mean. But it's an outlying. You know, Puerto Rico's part of us now, and um, and they're not. It's getting no media coverage. And I want to bet that you know. I mean, hey, we saw Donald Trump throw you know the paper towels at Puerto Rico when when everything happened years ago when he was the president, and we don't see Biden doing anything even. That's almost even worse. Not even any nothing. Well, we have cities in the states without clean water. That's when Facts. it gets dicey. That's very true. We realize there are people, even this close to home, that don't have clean drinking water. Yep. They have to go buy bottled water. Yep. I mean, Flint is still without water. I just posted that on my social media, 100%. Jackson, Mississippi, capital city of Mississippi, of a state, and 
No clean water. No clean water. I mean, I saw, you know, post on, you know, tweets on on Twitter where, you know, I've got doulas that were like, I've got, new, you know, mothers that just gave births with C-sections that are looking for water. Like, and that's in our country. I mean, yeah. Google how many yeah. people live in Jackson, Mississippi. I, it's a pretty big city. It's the capital city, right? Mm-hmm. And no clean water. It's insane. I saw that. Uh, and Flint, Michigan, how many years has that been going on now? I know it's been over eight. It's been a long time. I heard that the population was... of Jackson, Mississippi is 163,778 people as of 2020. That's like Humboldt County. That's crazy. No clean water. They just found Google arsenic Humboldt in... County population. Are we that big? Uh, I think last time I thought it was around 160. Is it more like 120? Jesus. But uh, yeah, that's one of the new struggles coming up. You know, even in our country now, running clean, staying in a place with clean running water is going to be. Humboldt uh, County population 136,101. Damn. I didn't know we were that big. So <laughs> yeah, we're like Almost 40 there. under. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. To not have clean drinking water. We take that for granted. We're over here. We flush our toilets. Nobody cares. Oh, yeah. My lady's always cut that. You know, don't sit there and leave the water on when you're brushing your teeth. Look at all those people that don't have clean water, you know. Plus, water is getting more expensive for us, too. I mean. Well, the fact that you have companies that just like Coke, you just own water. You just bottle water and you sell it to people. Mm Mm-hmm. Nestle's one of the biggest culprits, man. They're doing so much bad with their bottled water and all their... Nestle's horrible. Such a horrible company. <laughs> They've done so much bad. So this, yeah, that's one of the new struggles is going to be It's going to be clean water. That is going to be a problem. And so the anarcho-communism... Communism, yeah. So those were... That is your platform. You were getting with distribution of wealth. Where does that lead? Because that's a big one, right? With the communist ideas, we need to take the wealth that is isolated at the top and redistribute it to the bottom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's this interesting time where humanity, I feel, is capitalism has drained humanity as well as the planet. You know, it's left, bo- it's left both of us pretty scarred. <laughs> you know, and so we've got to find some other systems. And um, you know, there's the ideas of how communism has been run in the past and how other countries have done it right, you know, and then there's also the ideas of, you know, um, capital communism is in general, you would think, I would say politically has at least in the, Uni- in, in the sense of the United States, communism has been a targeted enemy of capitalism um, from what we saw with McCarthy, you know, um, communism has been consistently been presented as evil you know um there's been so i mean there's and there's been communist parties in the united states that have existed um actually one of the first black women presidential candidates unless i'm wrong she was from the communist party um and so you know it's existed in the united states but it's just always been stigmatized and um, for me, communism is whatever resources that may still be left on this planet. Let's try to share them as much as possible. You know, um, we've seen how 
capitalism has treated things, we like I said, we've got to go a different way. But haven't we, the argument to that would be, right, is, it, is that haven't we seen how communism goes? Just like how we see capitalism going, but we've seen this path with communism and it doesn't seem like it ends you know, at, in a great way. It's, at, we've definitely seen it. What I feel is a large problem with polit- the political spectrum and how parties operate in the past, present, and probably the future is authoritarianism. Like um, once you start to, you know, like the, for instance, the, the Communist Party of China, right? The you it's it, it's communist, okay, but power is still pretty. Uh, uh, concentrated at the top. Uh, Xi Jinping, gosh, I can't maybe pronounce his name. I think that's his name, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, you know, he's still a, for all intents and purposes, practically an authoritarian dictator, in a sense. Um, So when you get power concentrated I think power corrupts. I think it's a natural human trait. I think it's something that's just been known for an awful long time. And, you know, um, I think that society has been run in a certain way for an awful long time. I think that war has been this common theme that has, you know, uh, we saw during, we saw the Greek, uh, during the Greek times and then the Roman times, the Roman Empire was one of the greatest empires of in human history, right? And it spanned the practically the globe, you know. And I draw a lot of corollaries between the Roman Empire and the United States, you know, um, both just very imperialistic societies. And, um, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of these different regimes be authoritarian, but there's never been... I feel like actual democratic communism that actually works for the people in my lifetime, we haven't had that. And I can't say in the past we've ever had that, you know, um, and it's a, whether it's a lack of imagination and whatever people have that imagination to try to enact that world. Like I'm an abolitionist, you know what I mean? So I'm anti-capitalist, right? I'm pro-abolishing the prisons. You know what I mean? I'm pro-abolishing the police. Now, for me, that means changing the way police goes, policing goes, right? You know, policing in this country uh, started as slave catching and technology's evolved, but not much else since. You know, um, it still operates in a lot of the same ways. And so if we can break up the roles and responsibilities, the heavy load that currently law enforcement officers have, um, that to me is abolishing the police. If we can get more money towards Shantae Cat and the people and the uh, Nezi Wade and the people locally that are trying to help homelessness and more money towards social workers, a better ecosystem of um, drug rehabilitation, right? Drugs are a problem around here. They've been a problem, right? Like if we if we had more money for that, you know, being on the Human Rights Commission, um, I worked with some of the people around here that are doing some of those things. And I came from a bad perspective. Actually, I just even spouted that same bad perspective again a second ago where I said we need a better ecosystem of drug rehabilitation. The interesting thing about it is there actually is an ecosystem of drug rehabilitation around here. It just needs a lot more money based on the need. 
you know? And so when you've got so much need, uh, unmet need, then here we are in California with homelessness like it is and in the county like it is. You know what I mean? So um, if power were more spread out, if groups were able to get the funding that they need federally and statewide, we just need more of it around here, then some of these problems could start to alleviate, though. It could start to alleviate. But then, right, when you start to say that, isn't that... Socialism, like some people are going to say that's socialism. Some people are going to say that's communism, giving more money, the government giving more money to groups that need it. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I, I would say that I see groups around here that are making art that are having a hard time making it. Um, and if they got money to promote their art, and I'm talking about like BIPOC groups, black, indigenous, people of color groups, right? Like if they got more money from the government, from the state government um, to engage in the work that they're doing, it would get more exposure and it would have more an effect around here. You know what I mean? And that's, once again, going against capitalism. You know what I mean? That's going against the structure of things. In capitalism, there's always going to be winners and there's always going to be losers. And so, um, you know, currently, like I would say personally, like we live in a racial capitalism in this country. It um, also exists uh, in, in Europe. You know, you see in France, you know what I mean? In, in, in Great Britain, in London, in England, I'm sorry. Um, but um, what does that mean? A racial, racial capitalism? Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. So racial capitalism is so like I said, capitalism, you're going to have your winners and your losers. Racial capitalism, it's structurally set up to have more. Th and the way it's currently set up, at least in this country, the more melanin you have in your skin, the more it's structurally set up for you to lose. Now, there is going to be a lot of people that take a lot of qualms with that, like whether it's. Um, non-BIPOC people that feel differently that just don't agree with that or even I know plenty of I've got plenty of black family and friends and brown family and friends that would say that's wrong as well like we can make it you know what I mean like you know you, you work hard you put your effort into it and you can do it because I did it like you know that's, they'll say that my own grandma you know my own grandmother she was successful she um she was a black woman who worked Oh, my gosh. How can I not? Maybe it's just because I'm live. I can't remember what uh, uh, GE. I think it was either GE or um, a company like that. But she was a typist uh, when and this was the 50s, the 1950s, when they were just barely, you know, letting black women do that kind of thing. And so it was like, let's start doing that. And she got a job doing that. She always told me you can do whatever you want to. You know what I mean? And so that was one of the influences that I had in my life was that you, if you put your mind to it and work hard, you can do whatever you want to. And I think that's true. But I also know in the society and especially in this country that we live in, there are barriers depending on what community you're coming from socioeconomically as well as racially. You know what I mean? I think that um, it's going to be harder for a person with more melanin to succeed. And um, that's my stance. Do you think that's because of the melanin or because of the economic status? Um, well, that, I, would, I definitely wouldn't say economic status because we've got uh, rich, uh, you know, black people, rich people of color. You know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, that definitely exists out there. But I think it 
does everyone a disservice to ignore how things are structurally set up and how they've been structurally set up in this country. We can almost even look at that. I'll, I'll make a corollary to something that has gone on and even kind of came back recently. And I'm, what I'm talking about is Bank of America and just generally the banks redlining, right? You know, they would, you know, create a district. And if you were out the outside that district, if you were in the redline district, they weren't going to give you a home loan. You know what I mean? And so that disproportionately disaffected people of color, black people, brown people in communities in the United States for decades and decades, right? And so that's been known. They supposedly ended that, you know what I mean? But um, socioeconomically, um, you know, if you look at things right now and like I said, Bank of America, they just did this promotion. Um, it, I think it's still going on where if you're African-American, if you're maybe a foundational black American, you can get a home loan regardless of your credit score, I think was the plan. And like, so on the face of it, right, and the way it's going to be put out there in the media, that's going to seem like, you know, Bank of America might, some people might even say like, oh, look, Bank of America is giving some reparations to black people. You know what I mean? That's good things. That's like reversing things. That's reversing it. But I mean, then if you actually, if you actually know the housing market and anything, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got my degree in business and with an uh, emphasis in accounting. And so I'm finance, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not a dummy with it. And so, you know, um, I know what the housing market looks like right now. Housing prices are inflated. Interest rates are going up. And so, of course, they're going to, of course, Bank of America is going to try to put people into loans that potentially can't pay the loans and then default on those loans. And I follow a couple guys on Instagram, um, Earn Your Leisure and uh, MJ, M MG, the mortgage guy, a couple other um, uh, financial people that were like, yeah, like they did this on purpose because they saw with interest rates going up, loan companies weren't originating loans. Like loan origination has gone down big time. And they were like, well, how can we increase our loan origination? How can we start giving out more loans? Hey, let's make this plan up. You know what I mean? It's going to sound great on, in the media. It's, people are going to eat it up. It's going to give Bank of America points in the media because, like I said, some people are going to, whether you're any, co whatever color, some people are going to say, oh, that they're doing a good thing. You know, they're helping black people out. But in the end, I think they're honestly doing quite a bit more of a disservice. It was it was actually uh, it's it's uh, it was not what it was meant to be is my opinion on it. And um, so that's, you know, those things, those structural, structural things coming into place. And hey, if Bank of America ever got caught on it, if anything ever come out, if any ever, you know, emails or anything, you know, you know, anything ever came out on it, it's just a fine for Bank of America to pay probably, you know what I mean? If at all, you know, there might just be false advertising, maybe, or, you know, I don't know, but it's just a fine. It's just a penalty for a bank, you know, so... Those kind of things exist out there. Even today, those kinds of roadblocks, you know, trying to set people up for failure. You know what I mean? And so um, it's, it's hard for me to uh, even, you know, brings up a point um, in the hip hop, trying to loop back to hip hop a little bit, but still talk about this kind of topic. We just had uh, Jay-Z. Um, he was just in a 
I think it was a Twitter space. Twitter's got these spaces now and everything, right? You go on there and you, there's a few speakers that can talk and then everybody else is just listening. They're kind of, they're trying to move in on, spe- on stream guys' space, you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, Jay-Z was on, on one and he was like, yeah, you know, um, they're always moving the bar because, you know, um, I get successful. Then they come out with this, then a bunch of people come out with this term, black capitalist. and I was kind of I was definitely upset with him because what he's forgetting is that um like he took offense to being called like a black capitalist. He's like I'm I'm he was like he's basically what he was trying to say was I'm a black man. I did what I'm supposed to do. I came up. This is my art. I did the grind. I did the hustle and and did it. And you know I'm not maybe he was I think in his mind was trying to say I'm not like this caricature that people are trying to paint when they say black capitalist. That's all well and good, but to say that the term black capitalist has been created as a slur to um a, you know uh talk talk mess about black people that have succeeded like that's just the name of capitalism. Again, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. You know what I mean? But for Jay-Z to try to, I think, and what the general tone was, to disavow that capitalism disaffects black people, like that was, he, he set himself off way too far from thinking. He got a lot of backlash from it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think you just, you, it's, you can try to, not you can you can ignore if you want to the fact that like the the structure exists in that fashion to create a racial capitalism but i mean it you know we don't even have to talk about it in the united states we can look at like let's say france like you know france has uh they they colonized a lot of uh you know uh, countries in the caribbean and and in africa right created all this debt for these countries and you know, even to this day, like they say, these countries owe this debt. And like, I think it was like, you know, um, Haiti was trying to get like a bunch of debt, just like completely stricken now that the queen died or something like that. You know, like all these different like barriers set up for people that don't deserve them. And it's just, you know, these things have been in place for the longest time. Those, you know, Haiti was a uh, colony of France a long time ago, you know, so this is, none of this is new, and all these things have generally continued. There's been progress, you know, I'm not gonna, while saying those things, I'm also not gonna disavow the progress that's made, but man, doesn't it, I mean, to me, it feels like, you know, we're just consistently going backwards, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, heard my grandma, she was, you know, to talk about, um, you know, when we were going out and having to vote back in the, you know, she was born in 31, so I'm assuming this was the 50s, you know, she said we had to go in groups because, you know, you could, you know, something could happen to you. If you're black people in a small group or just an uh, individual or two going to vote on voting day, you know, depending on where you're at, you know what I mean? So that was, I feel like that kind of started to go in a different direction, but now we've still got like poll taxes. I mean, it's harder for people in the city. Uh, more often than not, uh, people of color that are disaffected by having to go really far to get to their polling place and or stand in a really long line to vote. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, just the cities and the way people live is like a poll tax. You know what I mean? And so uh, 
I mean, in the last few, the last two elections, I've seen a lot of, uh, is, is it gerrymandering? I don't think it's gerrymandering. There's a term for when you're at, like, let's say an office of elections. I almost, you know, one, of the, one election a while ago, I went and dropped my ballot in the election box at the Humboldt County Office of Elections. And I think I was wearing a yes on 21 hat or a button. And the woman was like, no, you can't have that in here. Like, well, you can't talk about your politics or have your politics openly visible in like office of elections or polling places like that. But last two elections, man, I've seen whether it's just, you know, Twitter, Twitter gets news out there. You know, I've seen instances, plenty of instances in this country where there's been a lot of intimidation um, at polling places. You know what I mean? And so it almost feels like, you know, while there's been progress on the civil rights and the, um, the civil rights front, it feels like things are going backwards on certain fronts, too. It really does, you know. But um, but doesn't it seem like this is always the argument you get, right? Is that if you enacted communism, there would still be that group that sucks up all the power. Mm -hmm. And then they point to China and say, this is the example. It's communist, but you still have the CCP that is the powerhouse. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the continuum throughout history is that idea of there's always going to be a group. That it choose power. So mm -hmm. how do you keep it? Do you think you could implement it in a way where it would stay with people or that's just the vacuum that happens? It's really hard. I think it's really hard. Power just kind of, you know, just at least everything nowadays, it just funnels up. And um, what, what I like that I've seen in recent times is um, some of the protests that have been happening, let's just say in Europe, um, we've had a lot of farmers protesting the last few months in different countries in Europe. And they're literally taking their big tractors and like stopping traffic, stopping everything because they're like, no, we're not going to. I've seen a lot of unrest all over the world for, for, because of uh, increased energy prices. Right. And uh, like even that issue, like I'm talking about increased prices on farms, um, that's making farmers strike. You know what I mean? And in certain places. I feel like people have forgotten their power. I think here we've definitely, whether it's just we're all on different pages and, you know, we were, at least I was raised, you know, when I was, you know, younger, there was the talk of, in school, there was the talk of the sleeping giant. You know, you learned about World War II and then, you know, well, when, you know, Japan hit Pearl Harbor, they awoke in the sleeping giant. You know what I mean? Um, but I think that the sleeping giant's, dead now i mean we're all on so many different pages that whatever power that we had in consensus and in joint strength i think that the powers that be you know continue to strive uh, continue to thrive based on us not having that consensus us not being able to be on closer terms you know um well that's just a theme throughout history if the people unite they're always going to be stronger than the government because mm -hmm. the government is made up of people yep Again, do you think that's, I mean, what does that entail? How do you enact, you would have to, people would have to have guns to enforce any, any equity, I guess, in that sense, mm -hmm. for social power. Otherwise, how do you keep somebody else from just coming and taking what you have? Yep. Which is the trope, right? Right. 100%. Power is that the political power comes at the end of a barrel of a gun, right? You know? It's true. It's really true. Uh, we're not there as a, as a as a human community and society yet. Um, there's just too many pockets of despotism, authoritarianism, bad democracies. You know, completely countries with no democracy whatsoever. You know what I mean? We're 
humanity's not there yet. Um, I just personally think that um, whatever one can do in your own life and community to decentralize power and take your choices back in your life, you know, we only have, you know, in the, in the corporate world, right, at least in this country, you know, um, fortunately up here where we are, we have access to good foods, right? Like we've got Eureka Natural, the co-op, different places. You can get good foods. But I mean, you know, I grew up in L.A. and down there you've got to you, oh, there's a, you've got to go out to Whole Foods. It's so very slim. And, and that's in L.A. If you go back to where I grew up in the Mojave Desert. That's uh, that's an area of. I mean, I don't even know how many people are in that area. There's a lot of people there, and there's, like, one organic food store for, like, I'm talking, like, a huge area of probably, like, half a million people. And there's one, and it's, like, a tiny store, like, the size of, like, a, a Sally's Beauty Spa, or a, a, a tiny, like, hole in the wall of a store. But doesn't that tie back into economic status? I would imagine if, I mean, Whole Foods is expensive. Nat mm. Eureka Natural Foods is expensive. You need an area that has a lot of money flowing into it so people can actually afford to go shop there. Mm -hmm. That's the big complaint or, I guess, pro for fast food is that it's supposedly cheaper so people can buy fast food and still be able to eat. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah, it's, um, that access is it's interesting, but um, I think you're right, though. It does have to do with how affluent you may be and the socioeconomics of the community. You know what I mean? And communities. That's why we got the food deserts, right? That they talk about in like uh, urban areas and stuff like that. Like you'll go, like there's so many people that are using like one grocery store. You know what I mean? And they have to travel how much, how long to get to that one grocery store? You know what I mean? It's um, it's uh, access is is uh, is an important thing, and I'm glad that we have the good access here. But the corporate world and in, in a lot of places, metro places especially, where you have less options even in just in terms of stores then those stores are having a certain buyer that's only buying these corporations you know goods and everything like that and, you know i mean if you go to a ralph's or um uh, like bonds usually has like good stuff on safeway they've got good stuff but like if you go to a, a grocery store that's not into organics and everything like that i mean that's pretty common you know what i mean especially like in bigger cities and that's you know, that's other people making your decisions for you. That's, you know, what corporation is wanting to get their food into the stores. And... Yeah, but isn't that controlled by us? Because if we just didn't buy that food. Well, there's a buyer. There's food? a local buyer. Whether You know, even for like, uh, like uh, Murphy's, right? They've got a buyer. You know what I mean? There's somebody like buying all of that. You know what I mean? And... No, but I mean, if people weren't buying the food, mm. then they w the store wouldn't buy that food and put it on the shelves, right? True. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, hey, yeah, you go into Winco and there's plenty of people buying non-organic stuff in Winco. It's normal. It's just the normal way of things. You know what I mean? But um, was is that a race element or where were we going with with that? Uh, it's definitely it goes back to you talking about the socioeconomic. You know what I mean? I think that's the biggest factor. Yeah. Is if you're if you just draw the short straw and you're born into an area that's riddled with poverty. Doesn't that's matter right. what what your skin color is. You're you're going to have a hard climb to mm -hmm. the top. But mm -hmm. you can get there. It's going to be hard. Yeah. It's interesting because I was just uh, talking with some people that were telling me that, uh, uh, telling me how it is in London, where it's 
less about race and more about class. But, I mean, there's still the ideas that there's going to be, I mean, I, you know, based on the statistics, there's going to be a larger percentage of melanated people that are, it's, it's a capitalist country, right? That's not a socialist country. That's not, I mean, it's not a socialist country. I think even our country is what I call a socio-capitalist country because we have a safety net. We have Social Security and Medicare. Like if it was pure unfettered capitalism, like we would have like no safety net, like not even that. So it is, we do live in a socio-capitalist society. It just leans more towards capitalism, right? And so um, it was interesting to hear that in, in England, it's more based on class. But I mean, I still see, you know, the differences that, you know, if, if, that people are treated by based on your race. You know what I mean? So. Um, I, I, uh, I'm interested in maybe going there and seeing what that's like, you know what I mean? Seeing how that's different from the United States, you know, I've always been interested in, um, the class struggle, you know what I mean? Like we were talking about communism and socialism and, uh, uh, it would be interesting to see if, what things look like if they're less based on race, like they are in this country and more based on class. I, I actually just want to see what that looks like. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's. I mean, we're pretty class here. I, a lot of it, I think, is just disguised as racism. Or that's just a factor that's lying on top of the economic factor. And, and because used it often. And used. And because it stings a little more, that's the one that gets attributed to most things. Mm-hmm. But it's an economic thing. Mm-hmm. Where you're born. To. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. And so, I would imagine... I, I mean, I can see why you got into... Some hot water sprouting those ideas, especially right. locally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you also find some support? I know there are abolitionist groups in the sense that they want to destroy capitalism. They want to burn the system down because that's the only way we can build it back up in an equitable fashion. Was there... Locally? You, yeah. Was there unifying support in that? Locally, I wouldn't say there was like a group. Locally, you may have some individuals that are invested in abolitionism and abolitionist politics. Um, you've also got, let's say, like there's like humble grassroots, right? They're a local anarchist group that they, you know, they would spend their time um, engaging in some of that work. You know what I mean? But I don't, uh, there's definitely not like an ex- like a, a specifically abolitionist group, at least that I'm privy to, you know what I mean? And if there was, they might be smart enough to keep it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> There's the, I don't know if you've heard of the Peace and Freedom Party. That's the one I always fall back on. I've tried to get those guys on. Oh, they're yeah, pretty, yeah. They're pretty firm in their. They're vocal about their They're politics. vocal, but they don't want to, they don't want to talk about it at the same time. Oh, I They're vocal to their group. But that, they seem pretty, pretty diehard with, we need to, we got to burn this shit down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That freaks me out. When I hear people talk, and that's where I go, I don't know, just programming wise with. When you hear anarchy, you instantly think, oh, you want to burn down society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a problem. Yeah. No, I know. It's, it's interesting, right? Because you've got this interesting thing where. <laughs> what is this? This is humble grassroots. Monarch- monarchy is a survival of the tyranny imposed by the hand of greed and treachery upon the human race in the darkest 
and most ignorant days of our history. It derives its only sanction from the sword of the marauder. That's James Connolly with a very rough picture of Elizabeth, the former queen. <laughs> it's true. That's one of the things a uh, local guy that I uh, like, he said, is let's celebrate. He, it was on July 4th, and he said, um, this Independence Day, you know, we're, uh, let's celebrate the fact that we did break away from monarchy. You know, that is. At least some, we did that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, England still has a monarch, and it's paraded. And a commonwealth and, and everything. And people crazy. Fund, fund it. And they're just, yeah. And then England likes to shit on us. And it's like, you have a fucking king now. You had a queen. What? But then how can you judge them when, you know, you look at North Korea and you have a legitimate dictator that just wants to make nukes so he can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Go out with a bang. Yeah. <laughs> Or take people out with a bang, whatever one he gets to first. Right. Yeah. But that anarchist aspect, people hear that. I know it scares people. No, definitely. You know, it's that the, you know, and I want to bring up this interesting um, point with that. Um, We all saw what happened in 2020 with Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter movement specifically that year. You know, Black, Black Lives Matter has existed years before that. But um, we all saw what happened 2020, right? And um, you know, I was I was out there protesting. I was out on uh, in Eureka with the protest when right after George Floyd died. You know, there were quite a few people out there at that point in time, right? Um, it was so interesting because the you know the the black and brown folks that I've talked to in the community um, and outside the community looked at the situation as you know there were a few months in 2020 where it felt like people understood that this is all screwed up. You know what I mean? That police brutality is a big problem. You know, that the, just in general, the criminal justice system is a big problem. Um, and we got to do something about this. You know what I mean? And the country protested in a lot of different places in the country, all, all over the world at that point in time. Actually, there were protests everywhere, right? Um, People might remember like the wall of moms that went up, you know what I mean? That was up in Portland. It kind of started there. You know, there was the protests that were going on in Portland was a big hot spot of it Um, because there's a I personally feel there's a lot of racism in the Pacific Northwest. And Portland is is definitely a hotbed of it. Um, You know, I I think that I think that black people weren't even allowed to lay their head in Portland. And it was it was either they weren't allowed to buy property or even just. I think it was they weren't allowed to buy property until like the 1920s, something like that. You know what I mean? Um, so that, there's just a legacy of like racism in Oregon. And so um, when the protests happened, there was PDX was a hotspot, you know. And so the wall of moms went up. That was a bunch of moms that came out and they were like, hey, like we're we support Black Lives Matter. We're not OK with. The cops brutalizing these protesters. We're going to form a wall. And if the cops are going to um, uh, hit the protesters, they're going to have to get through us. Right. And so, um, yeah, the wall of moms. And so I, I watched all this very, very closely. Like any of my friends that know me on social media, one of the things that I've done, I did. And I don't do it as much anymore was like when this was happening. I was posting it on social media like I was like a news outlet, 
like, and I would be like, look at all these updates from, from Portland, from all these different places. And then below it, I would just post all the different videos of police brutality, of the different things that were happening. And I mean, I have a lot of white family members and friends that like told me like you opened our eyes to a lot. You know what I mean? So I was on top of all this when this was going down. And I remember I held this to a really high standard when this first happened and the wall of moms first started. I was like, man, like, I don't trust this. I don't know about this. Um, you were this a little seemed, sketched out by the moms? Yeah. I was like, this is, this is seeming pretty performative and I'm not, uh, I'm really worried about this. And then lo and behold, like it wasn't even like two weeks later, like, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about, power and structure and things. And, you know, there was one woman that like started, I think it was some form of structure, nonprofit or whatever it may be, that like the wall of moms was under that. Like, I think it was like a nonprofit. And then like one person that was like in charge of that made some decisions that the general consensus, which included black women from other areas in the country that were running wall of moms, you know, cells in other countries. Uh, I don't want to say it like that. Like, you know, like they're cells of, you know, yeah, like then you soldiers. start thinking terrorists. Right. Egos. You can't say that. Yeah. like that. You know, they're not. So, you know, groups, other wall of moms groups. Right. You know, they were like, well, what are you doing? She just completely went left. And the wall of moms collapsed within like two weeks. And so I was, I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't go out there and I'm like, you know, I, I told you so, you know, I'm not that type of person. Anybody who's on my social media, they saw it. They saw me say, I'm not sure about this. But isn't that the same thing with Black Lives Matter? Didn't the people at the head of that spend 100%. an absurd amount of money? Buy, pull that up. Wait, I want to, I do want to read color. this. Oh yeah. Buying houses and just balling out. Mm -hmm. So this yeah. is, this is the wall of moms. Scroll back down there. You highlighted the group of. Where are, we, where are we at here? Um, do, 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 do. Yeah, the nonprofit accuses Wall of Moms, which announced Friday that its white members were stepping down as administrators of filing for business registrations with the state behind the backs of the newly installed black leadership. That was it right there, yep. Is that, I don't understand what that means. For filing business registrations with the state? Did, is that bad? What does that mean? Um, Keep scrolling down. Black women started saying they were not protected by Wall of Moms leadership. The group wrote, too frequently would be in communication for safety, transport, etc. And when the time came, there would be zero response and no leadership to rely on. It's put many on the ground in direct danger. Wall of Moms founder Bev Barnum appeared to file for three registrations, including one to make the group a non-profit, non the Oregonian reported. I don't understand why that's bad. I think, what am I missing here? I, th I think it wasn't the structure that I think the, the group wanted as, as, as a consensus, potentially. Um, but you're right, though. The same thing, not the same exact thing, but like what was happening there, what they were just describing there, where the people, the wall of moms at different areas weren't getting the support from the head organization. That's exactly what happened with Black Lives Matter. The head, like national Black Lives Matter organization was not giving money out to the different Oh, well, I hadn't heard of this. What, close that for a sec. The founder of a Black Lives Matter chapter in Memphis, Tennessee, has been sentenced to six years and one yeah, day in that. prison for illegally registering to vote in 2019. Pamela Moses, 44, committed the voting offense while on probation. Now, look up 
uh, Black Lives Matter founder spends a ton of money buying houses. That's what it was, yeah. right? She Patrice bought, Colors. She was buying mansions. Yep. Patrice Colors. Here we go. Patrice on Colors. It goes back to when you start to when power and what money. But isn't starts that just human nature? Up? Then it is. It really is. How do, so how do you fight that? Man, I mean, if that's every hard, right? if every example in history we have, and even today, we have these people just sucking up power whenever it's given to them. I mean, is the idea that you could ever actually reach some sort of communist state is that just a fairy tale at some level? I would say currently it is because we don't have the systems in place. There's no, you know, there's. There's no lack of imagination. There, people may say there's a lack of imagination, but I think that there's plenty of people that have thought about the different ways to live, and there's different societies living in different ways all over the globe. But I do think that in general, that's just a human trait. I think it's just known that power corrupts, and you know, and that's just part of it. Mm-hmm. What does this say here, Andy? As a result, with a record number of funds going to BLM and BLMGNF. I don't know what that one is. Con Colors and others proceeded to buy several expensive homes. Last month, it was revealed that the extent of how many homes were bought and how much they cost were far greater than most realized. According to New York Magazine, this included a $6 million house that had not originally been disclosed in the initial report of $3.2 million in houses purchased in LA and Atlanta by BLM leaders. The 6,500-square-foot, seven-bedroom house was purchased with Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation funds in October of 2020 by Diane Pascal, shortly after over $66 million came in from sponsors that September. Yeah, so she was just out here oh, That's embezzlement, cash. right? I mean, that's embezzlement. That's what I thought. But yeah, that's embezzlement. Yeah, but absolutely. That's, I mean, no group, is, no group is safe from that. Yeah, 100%. Like, I've seen plenty of instances of, like, for instance, like the Democratic Socialists of America. Like, I've seen plenty of groups complain that the DSA gets the money for whatever local, you know, prop or whatever uh, need there is. And then when it's time to distribute the money, the fall short. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just, it's so interesting how it all goes. It's just, it's how it's set up. It's the system is not set up to get money down to aid people. It's, it's not set up for that. So as, as an anarcho, anarcho communist. Yeah. Is that what you say? Yeah. What what is the ideal setup? That we abolish capitalism, implement communism, get rid of the police? Or, or is there like a set of like these are the milestones we would have to hit before we're in that state of whatever that entails? Well, you know, I think that it definitely depends. You know, I've got my own ideals and thoughts, and like we're talking about, there's no, there's no lack of imagination in the world. Yeah, people get crazy. People yeah. can go far with any idea Very and then you're, so. you're sitting there thinking okay we we're kind of going off the rocker here right right then it gets really utopian or you know darker <laughs> you know what i mean but um i mean i just personally think that if we changed a lot about how we operate in terms of economics resources and people those are the main drivers of it, you know, pe people and resources drive everything that, you know, that's one of the interesting things about communism, right? Is that um, in capitalism, people's labor is often exploited, right? And, and more often than not, people are not paid 
properly for the work that they do. I think that that's one of the things that I've seen a lot. You know, we see about all these different high, um, uh, high profile crimes. You know, everybody's vested in, you know, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And you see all these kinds of different things. Right. But like if the light was shined on the real thieves, like it would be like wage theft, like these corporations that like these big corporations that are, you know, not paying people appropriately. Just I mean, just for instance, I saw a video Burger King worker. Right. And I know they're franchise, so it's all kind of different. You know what I mean? But Burger King worker guy was working at Burger King for 27 years. Finally retires for his retirement. They give him it's like a tumbler and like a toothbrush or something like a lanyard. And the guy was working there for 27 years and you know, make, making somebody some decent money. You know, those penny profits at uh, fast food restaurants add up, you know. And as you know, that's how it went. He, that's how he was treated. You know, it was just um, that's just how it goes. You know what I mean? Hey, thank you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought there. Uh, it's just the appreciation aspect of the work. Oh, yeah. Is... The labor, the labor. Yeah. right? So. Labor is often exploited, but what people often forget is that without labor, you don't really have anything. And so I'm for, whether it's socialism or communism, I want people to be properly paid for their labor. You know what I mean? I don't want this, you know, I, I personally agree with kind of the... Uh-oh, did I just break you guys? Um, I don't personally, I, I personally agree with a meme that I see out there where this idea of unskilled labor is this capitalist thing to pay people lower. You know what I mean? Because like, you may say somebody's an unskilled worker, but I know unskilled workers that are doing things that skilled workers would never touch or do. Right. But like, let's just say it may be hazardous and they're not getting the hazard pay for it or, you know, stuff like that, where um, I just want people to get paid appropriately. And then if people were paid appropriately, you have communities operating a lot better. You know what I mean? If you if you got if you had people paid appropriately around here, I feel like Walmart would probably go away. And, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating to a sense. Right. Walmart's probably not going anywhere. You know what I mean? But, you know, people around here love to spend money locally. And so they would, if people around here were affluent enough to just spend all their money locally, it all stays around here. But that key word being you have to be affluent enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, to even have money to spend. Well, yeah, and especially to spend money on local products because those are usually more expensive. Mm-hmm, big time, big time. So how do you balance that? How do you, if you're increasing everybody's wage, spending power goes down? Mm-hmm. Right, because products are going to get more expensive. Mm -hmm. And then you're playing that cat and mouse game of, well, how do you pay people what they're worth, but also keep prices relatively low so people can actually afford them? Well, then, I mean, then we move over into the profit motive of uh, capitalism and, and businesses, right? Where socialism, it's tampered down and communism, it's like practically, you know, in a sense, like cut where you're not allowed to make profits, right? You know, but in this society, we've got, corporations these oil corporations making uh, record profits you know and our gas is higher than ever you know what i mean and so so much of that increase you know it all you know it happened i think generally like the gas really started going up right when everything started to kind of hit the fan in ukraine right and 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 energy things across the world just started to change and 
energy prices across the world started to go up and we've seen a lot of unrest because of that. But, um, uh, Oh shoot. I lost my train of thought. Balancing the, the oh, capitalist yeah. aspect of profiteering. Mm-hmm. If you reduce that profit motive, like I know that's like, Oh my gosh, like a, a capitalist is going to have a heart attack at that thought, right. Or that word, you know, or those, those, that statement. But, um, you, there's got to be certain industries where there's no profit, in my view. Um, something that's been big on you know, social media and in uh, community building spaces is um, corporate landlords recently, right? Like there's a lot of people in Europe especially that are like a lot of uh, uh, politicians that are like railing against corporate landlords because those guys are just uh, – Eating, buying up all the all the apartments and then renting them out at way too high a price just to bleed people dry that are already having it hard with inflation as it is right now. You know what I mean? So there's no real like what purpose in society does that serve? I'm not, you know, and I'm not going to say then we need to. You know, that's the that's the kind of the, the the capitalist fear comes from. Oh well, if they start doing that to this, and if they make it so that way there's no longer any corporate landlords, or you know, you can't own more than X amount of units, housing units, then they're gonna come for this next thing too. Like, there should just be a few things in our lives where there's no profit motive: food, healthcare, education, um, housing, and Maybe if you add more than you're getting real socialist and communist. I don't know. You know what I mean? But, I mean, I think that there's just a few things that there should not be any profit motive in. And other things outside of that, great. But in this country, right, I think I just saw a study that said that um, if we had universal health care in this country, that it would have saved 200,000 lives during the pandemic. Right? Like, I'm a, I'm a proponent of universal health care. Like, I'm a anti-Reagan guy like all the way like you know he, he was you know we know he was against socialized medicine and everything and so um I, I don't under you know I see what happens in other countries you know uh where you know the the complaint is oh well you're gonna wait longer for services and everything like that but the the concept of people don't go and get health services that they need because of money and the cost involved and our insurance and all that nonsense it's real like that happens with me like i don't you know i'm not just gonna go and you know if i get a headache or something like that we're not gonna just go in there you know i mean you you have to taper you know you gotta be you gotta be smart about it yeah yeah and um but like when a woman's having a baby right like why is there any google this because it's a it's crazy expensive it's Oh yeah, twenty thousand dollars to have a kid, to have a baby bet. delivered, and it's that's what you end up like just paying. Outrageous, that, mm-hmm. just to have a child. Yeah, and in the, if you're in uh, England, right, or a nationalized healthcare country, it's not even a discussion, right? You go and get the services, and eighteen thousand eight hundred sixty-five. I was close. What did I say? Twenty. Yeah, you would have run up one on prices, right? How how <laughs> ridiculous is that? I know. Uh, and then, I mean, this is the only country. Uh, well, no, actually, that's wrong. This country has no paid maternity leave federally, right? There's so many other countries. I just saw that meme where there's so many countries with 
how many months of you know maternity leave and jesus the study found that california women giving birth were charged from 3296 to 37,227 dollars for an uncomplicated vaginal delivery depending on which hospital they visited for a c-section women were billed between 8312 and nearly 71,000 dollars that's insane crazy $71,000. I don't, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't, and I don't know. I mean, it seems, that seems broken. The healthcare yeah, system, especially, it just seems, it seems like it needs a serious overall. Somebody's got to do something. I was hoping, you know, you remember back, uh, you're, how old are you? Can I ask you? I'm 24. That's so what I'm, somebody I'm still said. Young. I was watching one of your episodes and you said that in one episode and I, uh, so, I mean, but you were alive during Obama, Obama's years. And so, you know, um, I felt like we, we all thought that he was going to bring the public and the private option, which would have made some difference. And then of course it didn't happen. <laughs> you know, it was more just big shillery, you know what I mean? But, um, uh, that could have changed a lot, you know, because that's like that. I, I I look at the German system where they got a public option and a private option. You know that way, there's a baseline of care in the country that everyone can expect, regardless of your socioeconomic status, as long as you can get to one of the care centers or hospitals and hoping it's a decent quality one. You know, there's different care places going to have different qualities. That's just where we are in life. You know what I mean? But um, in in this system, oh, well, the public and private option, right? So then, but then, and then you have the private option where you can have something better if you're affluent enough to be able to afford that, right? I think that's probably a decent medium between the political spectrums and the political thoughts of completely privatized medicine versus completely, you know, socialized medicine. I, I feel like that's reasonable having a good both medium. Options. Yeah. You know, and we didn't even get that, of course. So, <laughs> you know, um, but uh, yeah, healthcare is one of those things um, that there should there should be no profit in that. There really shouldn't be these big, you know, uh, insurance companies. You know, I mean, I, I you know, like there's going to be a, any anybody that's uh, more uh, right leaning. They're not going to like it when I talk about Michael Moore and his movie Sicko. But that was a movie I saw years back and it was it talked about a lot, you know, and um, it was. Uh, it was an eye opener for me because healthcare at that point in time wasn't like a realm on the political spectrum I had really jumped into. And then I saw that and I was just like, wow, this is how we're doing it over here. And now in the, with the pandemic having, you know, happened and everything like, I think that it showed the racial disparity that exists with care where you're more likely to get worse care the more melanated you are because the more melanated you are this is not a uh, across the board 100 percent thing but you're more often to be in a lower socioeconomic status and so then you're more often to get lower quality care you know and so um if there was just that basic universal basic level you know what i mean then people would be healthier and actually be able to work like they want us to in this country you know what I mean? they want to work us like dogs and 
you know, they don't even care about our health. You know, it's just crazy. You know, it's just the the country's, you know, got a lot of problems, but so much of our wealth is being stolen from us on a frequent basis. There's people that don't even notice it and just, you know, give away so much of their wealth by the, the decisions that they make, by the things that they buy, you know, and um, it's uh, it doesn't keep money in our communities. That's for sure. You know, money often, you know, gets shipped away unless you're in a place like this where, you know, buying local is important to a lot of people. Then you can bet that a lot of communities' monies, especially in metro centers, are getting shipped away, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's the name of the game. Is to the to the best product or to the cheapest product, that's where you're gonna find the wads of cash. Mm-hmm. And the quickest pop product, right? Amazon. Who can compete with that? Right. Yep. They've taken over. I mean, it's been so interesting uh, to see how the world has changed in the just in the time of the pandemic. You know, I mean, and I think that these guys that are you know Bezos and these the, the, the people that are making out based on people doing a lot more online shopping, they don't want that to change. They're stoked on it. You know, what I mean, ba- we know how Bezos operates. He's going to try to continue. He's moving into I think the stuff. You know, he's moving into the grocery stores like we were talking about, and um. They're gonna. They've. They're. I think they just launched one somewhere where you can actually finally you can go in and just put what you want in your basket and walk out with it. And the whole system, it's all tracked. I was watching uh, some news segment on it where it's like this AI that like creates a stick figure for your body while you're in the store, and it travels and sees what you're picking up, and you know, and then figures out what you took and charges your account, and there you go. And that's the future of things. You know what I mean? Um. It is the future. I think Bezos stepped down from all that. Isn't he just focused on Blue Origin mm. now? You may be right. He's just yeah. out here balling. Like, yeah. He's out here just. He's got so much money. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to focus on that anymore. Yeah, he's got good guys. He's working trying for him to that are continuing his vision. Go to space. <laughs> yeah. What is just walk out shopping? Oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah. You. Well, that all ties back into everybody's fear of a social currency, where they can just track you. And that surveillance state where everything you see and everything you do is now monitored. 100%. In some ways, that's that just walk-in shopping, that's the first step, is we're just going to watch you in the store and monitor your purchases through your account. And then eventually it's going to be, well, yeah, and then when you walk into another store, and then just all the time. Mm-hmm. And they've got everything, you know, it... Yeah, I mean, with that too, with the the big news that came out of that was something that scared me as a technology guy that kind of keeps an eye on pro- like this kind of stuff, you know. But um, they were Amazon was talking about the palm tech, the palm reader technology that they are working to implement in those just walk out stores. It's taking your palm print and then putting it in the cloud. Now, that's a whole new level because, yeah, we've got these phones where they've got the thumbprint and everything like that. So if you put your thumbprints in it, then those thumbprints are out there. You know, I mean, only Samsung or Apple or, you know, Google maybe are supposed to have them and everything like that. But that's data. Yeah, but they're, do they really? Is right, it really just them? Right, exactly. You know, they're, with that data, it's supposed to be on your phone, does not get, like, shipped to the, you know, sent to the cloud, right? 
But this Amazon thing, that was the thing about this that had a lot of privacy people all, you know, up in arms was this was the first time where they're talking about taking your biometric data and putting it in the cloud. And I mean, I get, I don't know about you, but I get like notices of like your information's getting been breached or, you know, I get those kinds of notices like all the time, like probably once a month. It's that bad in this data, personal data driven world. You know what I mean? And um, so Google that Google how many security breaches there are in a month. It's a lot. People don't understand. If you put something on your phone and it goes to the cloud, especially it's fair game. Oh, 100%. It's fair game. Yeah. Just because you think that you have this secured by your little password, it's not. No. And no, if somebody wants access, they're getting access. Yeah. And then, have you seen those videos where they hack Teslas and drive Teslas? I don't know if it was Tesla or Mercedes, the, but they can hack your car. Uh-huh. I've seen it on the car I got as a Hyundai, and they've been, uh, it's easy. I heard, I saw a video where you can just go on the web and get like the, it's technological, but like the private key that allows you to like hack right on into a Hyundai car. And so when like the bigger cities, like Hyundais are getting stolen. <laughs> well, uh, is that that TikTok challenge that yeah, they Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly that. Yep. No ponage. I'm awesome. Um, <laughs> Google how many data breaches there are in the US each month. That TikTok challenge was huge. Huge. I think they did a 60 minute special on that. Mm -hmm. Is how I saw it. They're, these kids are just breaking into it was Kia. Yep, Kia and Hyundai. Yep. And <laughs> all you had to do was pull out the you had to do something with the steering column mm -hmm. and plug in a USB or something weird like that, and it would just start. Yep. Because you had the key on the USB. Yep. What are we looking at? Ew. Um <laughs> Annual number of data compromises and individuals impacted in the United States from 2005 to the first half of 2022. Oh, that's it's going to be at least like 1,600 this year. So, what is, you know. What's on the left? Are we talking thousands, millions? Why is that 53.5? Oh, individuals impacted in millions. <laughs> so in 2022, this far alone, it's 53.35 million people have had their data compromised. That's a lot of people. We're talking about 100,000 people without water, and this is close to 54 million with I, their data compromised. I uh, read that, um, you know... It That's be, so scary. Oh, it's super scary. You know, oil used to be the world's most valuable resource, but now they're saying that data, and specifically personal data, is the world's most valuable resource. You know what I mean? That's 100%. Yeah, it's like geopolitically, like TikTok has changed the world, you know what I mean? And it's created this, and I mean, I'm not trying to go on like the, you know, like the, you know, Donald, you know, Donald Trump was, you know, and all these people talk about it, like, well, it's owned by China and everything like that. But, I mean, it's owned by wrong? China. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Donald Trump said a lot of wild shit, but the fact that he was talking about... Oh, Andy got pwned over here. Oh, no. What is this pwn site? Oh, I see. Has your uh, pwned... So your email address was found in four data breaches. Damn. I've you got, gotta, you gotta I've got my credit that monitored, up, and it, I, I get it like once a month. Like the credit surveillance is like, oh, yeah, your information's been found in a breach, like your email or even your password, passwords, all that stuff just... TikTok freaks me out. I just downloaded TikTok for the podcast the other day. Oh, yeah. And I'm using it strictly for the podcast. I'm not scrolling. I'm not doing anything. I post and then I get off and I go into my settings. I disable everything once mm -hmm. I'm done using it. 
Yeah. And it still freaks me out. Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm uh, like I said, like I was saying earlier, I'm not into social media. And so I'm, I'm, I've gone during, I've had different periods of time where I've, you know, completely uninstalled Facebook and all, you know, and all that. I went through this period of time where I think I had my Facebook app completely uninstalled for two years and was just accessing it through the browser on my computer. Well, I installed a what's called a DNS sinkhole on my home network, which basically so what it's set up to do is like it blocks adware and malware. Like anytime any computers on your home network dial out to adware servers or malware servers or just advertising servers um, for ads. Like I have a DNS sinkhole that blocks that. It just returns nothing. It, so I basically have like an ad-free experience on my home network, right? But you can. But the thing about that is you can actually see the requests that are going out of your network. I didn't have Facebook installed on my phone for two years, and then installed that DNS sinkhole and saw that it was still dialing out to graphs.facebook.com and sending information there and that and i and i was happy with myself i'm like oh i haven't i have i've uninstalled it for two years i'm you know i'm better than all you know i'm just kidding you know? <laughs> you know um but and it was still sending data to facebook you know and so i mean these phones are people don't realize what they are you know you you know it's um everything is logged on there whether it's google or apple or whatever other manufacturer motorola or something they've got every key press everything you do is logged so you know a lot of windows computers are the same way they install a lot of telemetry on there you know so we live in orwellian times you know what i mean and people don't know and a lot of the times there's the thought of you know if you're not doing anything wrong it doesn't matter so that i don't like that argument i don't like that i hear that and and i just my eyes just gloss over because I know it's yeah. not going to be productive. Because that, you know, that just enables society to do like they've done to Julian Assange, right? Where they've demonized somebody who's just a whistleblower, you know? And so it, uh, which yeah. is crazy because that was under Obama, right? And his whole platform was, you know, we're going to not prosecute whistleblowers and we're going to give them due process. Yep. Once you're a real enemy of the state, like I would say they consider Assange. It's over. Yep. Not even Obama can save you. <laughs> it's a weird time. It's a weird time with privacy. Yeah. Because what you just said is the common consensus that, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. So what do I care if the government has my data? Yeah. And that's, that's the start of the, the rock rolling downhill. Because mm-hmm. it starts there and then you realize, oh, yeah, with what Snowden said, they're just collecting your shit constantly. And what have we done? What have we done for that? Yeah. Yep. No, I know it's not a good direction, and it's going, you know, further with you know the metaverse. And uh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, now it's Meta. You know, now it, it is the mal- the parent parent company of Facebook, or that's just Facebook. You know, and um, we're going into that th- the VR world and com- you know Web 3.0 that's combining cryptocurrency and VR and all these different elements and it's a lot of distraction. It's a lot. Of, they want your attention. We're that's, gonna live online. Yeah, that's that's where we go in the future. Everybody just lives. Have you seen what is that movie? Black Mirror. Uh, Ready Player show? One. Oh yeah, great movie. Yep. That's where we're going. Mm-hmm. That is gonna be live. 
Yep. You're just going to have this fictional character that you spend most of your time as, and then you're going to come back into the real world to eat and to work just enough so that you can go back in. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're willing to let go of, you know, so much of our normal life that we live right now, I mean, that sounds lucrative, right? Like me just, you know, rather than me being this, I could be whatever I want, whatever avatar I want. And, you know, I mean, I've seen Black Mirror, the episodes. I mean, once you, once it's at that level, right, you know, you're, you know, everything is happening online. You know, you're having sex with whoever you want to. That was the craziest I mean? one. Yeah. That Black Mirror episode where they're playing the video game. It was a fighting game and they just started having sex. Yeah, like what the fuck is happening that right now? That was a crazy one. That was that latest season. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I heard that they have another one. They're just not releasing it because the world is too hectic or something. See if you can find that. <laughs> what I think is pretty crazy is that to watch all the levels of different like unrest across the globe, and then to see what's happening in this country with the Supreme Court and a lot of. Christian nationalist minded people making moves in the country. It's interesting to watch all that unrest and what's happening in this country. And then right now, there's new episodes of A Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Like, it's a little too inception y for me, you know? <laughs> I'm just like, man, like, are they doing this on purpose? You know? <laughs> it's a crazy time. It is a crazy time. Do they have the newest season? Or is it just confirmed? Maybe it's just confirmed. Has been greenlit for season six by Netflix. 2022. So, fake news. I was trying to... Uh, I watched that uh, Jordan Peele movie that came out recently, Nope. How was that? I've heard, I've heard mixed takes. I've heard that it was disturbing. It was disturbing. It was weird. You know, I think that he's, my, my lady said it, said it best. I think he's kind of like a, uh, the new M. Night Shyamalan. The kind of the themes are just not, they just kind of throw you a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, it, it was, it was, it was decent though. I mean, I like the actors that were in it. You know, I like Daniel Kaluuya. He's, he's a really good actor. Um, but um, one of the things that I took from that movie is something that, you know, we saw on a Simpsons episode, one of the tree, Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors years ago was, there was that episode where the just don't look episode where like Lisa goes into this jingle, like just don't look at all these big, like all these big advertising, like uh, statues became monsters and started terrorizing the city and everything like that. And Lisa and this guy doing a jingle is like, just don't look. And so in that, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but if you're watching, you're going to have, there's going to be a note spoiler on this. So that was kind of the theme in the movie was the guy was like, if I, if I don't look at this big monster, it's not going to get me. You know what I mean? And so um, I kind of did that same thing in my own life with uh, recently with like the queen dying and all this hubbub about the little mermaid. Like I didn't post about it. I didn't care. I don't I don't care. I'm, I'm more like, let me not look at all this stuff, this nonsense in the sky. Like like what happened in the movie. Nope. I'm not going to spoil it for you. But yeah, let me not look at this pie in the sky stuff. And, you know. Because, I mean, how much does that really affect us in this country? If you're in a country that's, a, you know, a colony of the Commonwealth, then maybe the queen dying affects you for whatever various reason. Maybe your country's trying to get out of the Commonwealth, like Jamaica's trying to get out of the Commonwealth now, you know. Um, but um, how much does that affect us over here? But the media attention on the queen's... It's huge. It was insane. 
it was like a hundred times more coverage than the floods in Pakistan and what's now happening in, happening in Puerto Rico, you know? It's like our values and... Well, it's just weird celebrating a monarch. Obviously, you should mourn someone that has died. But we still have a monarch in, you know... 2022. In 2022. And they kept it going. They didn't even like... it. Yeah, there was no pause. They had to. Because imagine if there was a lull for a week where there's no no king, no queen, where they're trying to figure out what they want to do. They might actually get some change and remove the monarchy and yeah. People might realize, why are we doing this? We're going to step right into the next one. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what (laughs) we're going to do. And of all people, Richard, I mean that, you know. I don't know anything about that guy, but he's been getting a lot of flack online. All I, you know, this, 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 you know, I'm on, like I said, I'm on Twitter. So they, you know, talk about everything, you know, but, um, yeah, I don't want to talk about certain topics, but that guy's a, he's a, he's a creep. You know what I mean? He's not the pedophile one, isn't that Prince? I thought that was Prince Andrew was the one that was hanging out with Epstein. I thought it was Charles too. If you can find that in here. I know for sure. It was for sure. Andrew, right? Was it, he was taken in a picture. Yeah, with yeah. some girl. I didn't know it was Prince Charles as well. Google was Prince Charles connected to Epstein. Now we're getting on Epstein. Now we're just we're going off the rails here now. <laughs> it's all good. That's uh that's another crazy story. I mean, you've got Queen Elizabeth and you've got Jeffrey Epstein living at the same time. Oh, I see. Uh Prince Charles under fire for reportedly bailing out Andrew over Epstein. Whoa, Prince Charles was accused of bailing out Prince Andrew over reports he is giving his brother most of a $9 million loan for his Jeffrey Epstein settlement. <laughs> so yeah, I think you're right. It was uh, Andrew. Eh? They're all, it's, yeah. it's a mess. It's almost nicer just to tune all that out and live in a little bubble and just focus on your craft or what you're doing and not pay attention to the world because you can get swept up in that 100%. and then what can you do to change that right so why not just focus on your own little world where that's you right. do have an impact that's right 100 percent. that's why i said i didn't even pay attention to just don't look i didn't want to even pay attention to it at all you know what i mean i think that's a healthier approach i, I think you know also uh, like i said with the little mermaid thing that was just this big issue that blew, blew up because you know disney just released a trailer for the new little mermaid movie and uh uh, Haley People Berry. were pissed. I think that ha- got a million down likes. I mean, uh, 1.5 million. 1. And that 5? was like a couple days after just the trailer release. Yeah. Um, People are shitting on that movie and it hasn't even come out yet. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's this interesting thing where I saw a lot of my friends talking about this. You know, they were, everybody was up in arms over all this, you know, the response to it and whatnot. And I personally, I think that trolling black people like this is an actual marketing tactic. And I think that you think that the Disney is doing that on purpose. No, I don't think that Disney is. I don't think that Disney cast um, Haley as, you know, a black woman as Ariel to troll the black community. But I think the way things get presented out there are presented in a way to drum up a response. And I think that 
after what we've seen in different communities, like one of the other ones is like the Star Wars like community, right? Like we've seen a lot of racism in like the Star Wars community. I'm a, and I'm a Star Wars guy, you know. And we've seen like uh, Boy, John Boyega, who um, he was Finn, the black guy in, uh, you know, the more recent Star Wars movies, right? Um, he caught a lot of black uh, backlash for saying that he would only date black women, right? It's his personal preference. Like, why would somebody find any reason to find, to backlash against that? You know what I mean? But, like, people, like, respond in a certain way. And I think that the media, not this, maybe not necessarily, like I said, Disney, but the media that is putting things out there, they know how to put things out there to drum up a response in people. You know what I mean? When I, when I heard about all this, the cool thing that I saw was the fact that young black girls were stoked on the representation. You know what I mean? Like that was the positive of everything. But then once the response starts going a certain way, that's creating a media buzz, right? And that's creating clicks and that's creating money. Click um, sell. Yeah. Click sell. Well, we gotta. I gotta get out of here. It's already eight o'clock, man. Oh, we've been in, man. we've been doing some time. <laughs> Do you want to plug again where people can find you? Where they can find Hip Hop Humble? Yeah, check everything out. Absolutely, and thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I'm on all the socials: TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Um, what else is there? I don't know. Whatever else there may be at Hip Hop Humboldt, and um, you can also go to hiphophumble.com to find the latest episode of the podcast. All the other episodes of the podcast are below that. And then um, I'm working on, you know, I'm doing things legit. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm like I said, I'm not making any money on this podcast currently. I actually don't uh, make any money even on. I've got the podcast on Anchor is the platform that I'm using to put the podcast out on Anchor. If the podcast is explicit, they will not let you monetize it. They won't put ads on it and let you make any money on it. So I am not making any money on any of the episodes with artists, which is fine by me because I almost feel bad, you know, making money off of other people's work. So I'm more like, you know what, let's do what other podcasts are doing. And you might have this in the works for yourself as well. But the gear, I'm trying to promote the gear like I'm working. I, I create gear. I just I'm I see that hip hop humble hat, man. It's nice. Yeah, thank you. This was actually was done. I would give a plug to Bayside Embroidery. I bought the hat and Bayside Embroidery does the embroidery. Uh, shout out to Tom. Um, but uh, yeah, I make apparel and then um, put it out there. And so I'm just trying to get some podcast gear out there. That's going to be available on hip hop real soon here. And um yeah, if you're interested in hip hop, I think that uh, you owe it to yourself to check this podcast out because it's going to just be the compendium of all the good, all the, all the hip hop artists. I don't even want to say good. That's subjective. You know, all the hip hop artists in Humboldt County. And if you're a hip hop artist in Humboldt County, holler at me because I want you on the pod. All right. Well, David, I'm, ex I'm excited to see where you go with that, man. Thanks, I think man. you're filling a, a good spot. And I mean, the sky's the limit with that. That's right. I'm stoked on your podcast too, man. I'm going to definitely keep my eye on this. I like what you guys are doing over here, and uh, I'm wishing you guys the best of luck and success. Thanks, man. It was a blast, really. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you, Nick.